All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Brian Wells, as always. And we also have a special guest host in today's uh, episode, Brian. That's right. And it is your brother, Cam Novotny, who joined us in uh, our podcast during during the draft back in April and May and gave us our gave us our insight on the NFL and we're happy to have him again for another uh, NFL segment. Yep. So uh, he, he joined us. We sat down for a while just talking about the current state of the league, just based on where, where teams are when uh, looking at the playoff picture, what our expectations are moving forward in terms of who are some of the better teams and you know who we expect to see at the end uh, when the, the regular season wraps up. So definitely a lot of fun with that. We'll also be talking some NBA in this episode. NBA draft is uh, tomorrow night or maybe you know, the day of or maybe it already happened by the time you listen to this. But uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the early moves in the offseason, a few big trades, as well as a few really big rumors and uh, potential trades. We'll also uh, talk a little bit about the Masters with uh, Dustin Johnson winning the green jacket, as well as some big news in the college sports world before wrapping things up with our top five celebrities named Cameron in honor of having my brother as our guest in this episode. So with that, let's get started. Brian, uh, we're starting off with just you and me. Uh, you know, Cam didn't want to commit to a full episode. He said, "We'll talk to us about football." Didn't want to talk about some of our other topics, so uh, we'll we'll have that one come in in a little while uh, when we sit down with him just to talk NFL. But for now, let's start off with the NBA and. The NBA offseason is you know, finally in swing. The uh, trade moratorium ended earlier this week, and we've already seen a few noteworthy moves. But before discussing anything that actually happened, let's start off with two Houston Rockets players who apparently want out of Houston and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. So I guess what are your immediate reactions to that? I'm not surprised that it, that it uh, didn't work out in, in Houston. I remember thinking once, once Westbrook got to uh, Houston, I remember thinking, how the hell is this going to work with two guys who are very ball dominant on the offensive end of the floor and two guys that are, uh, I don't want to say ego maniacs, but they're both very chippy on the court and uh, Westbrook is definitely very vocal and James Harden definitely wants to do his thing with dribbling, dribbling and ISO ball and uh, and I figured that they would be a playoff team, and I figured that they would be a, a first or second round exit, which is pretty much what happened. And uh, and now they both want out, or at least 
Harden, they both won out. Is that correct, or is it just? Yeah, Harden? yeah. So they both won out. Originally, it just was just Westbrook and Harden was committed, but Harden uh, reportedly got offered a two-year, hundred-three million-dollar extension, within the first ever fifty million-dollar per player, and he turned it down. And it sounds like he wants to go to Brooklyn or Philadelphia, and I, I don't find that surprising at all because I, I was relatively high on Houston coming into the season with Harden and Westbrook. Uh, I think I. I would have said probably a second round exit, but I thought they had a path to maybe um, going very deep into the postseason. Things didn't work out great. They built a roster around Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey where they never had a center. You know, by the time the the, the bubble rolled around, and uh, you know they they were overmatched by Anthony Davis and the Lakers. Yeah, they they had PJ Tucker playing yeah. center, and uh, you know when when Mike D'Antoni didn't you know, renew his contract with, with Houston. They, they let him leave and uh, they decided to hire Steven Silas, who he's a well-respected assistant coach, but this is his first head coaching job. He's not someone who has had a lot of experience. He's not a guy who's won championships in the past or, you know, like a Doc Rivers type who uh, went up going to Philadelphia. And uh, also going to Philadelphia is Daryl Morey, who decided to step down from the Rockets and uh, originally was going to take the year off, but quickly the, the 76 are able to scoop him up and bring him in. So D'Antoni and Mori are gone. Those are two guys that really shaped this Rockets roster. And now like, I don't blame Harden and Westbrook for wanting to move on and feeling like their championship window is closed. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if Houston does make this move. And I guess between Brooklyn and Philly, where where would you rather see Harden go? And, you know, just like, let's remove the Celtics bias out of this. Where do you think makes more sense? What makes more sense for Harden? For both teams. You know, both situations. For both teams? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I, th- I would say I would say Brooklyn. Because, I mean, if in Philly, I'd imagine Philly would, would trade Simmons. I think so, too. And then it, I like the idea of then, a Simmons for Harden trade. but Yeah, and then, I mean, and I like Embiid a lot more than Simmons. You know my thing on Simmons. I, I, I don't, I'm not a big Simmons fan. And I think Embiid, when he's, when he's putting in the full effort, is a monster and can definitely impact both ends of the floor and Harden and Harden and B duo would be pretty fun to watch. But the, I, I mean, that's, that seems like a team that could again, make the playoffs, maybe advance a little bit further in the playoffs, but eventually see them losing in the second round, maybe conference finals. I don't know. But I feel like in Brooklyn, even though I'm, I'm a Kyrie hater and uh, I, I think he's uh, a mess to deal with and, KD, he's he's definitely not perfect. I mean, I mean, great player for sure, one of the best players in the league. But he's had his moments. Uh, he can be a head case a little bit too. But uh, and and as Harden, but all three of them together though, that's 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 kind of that's at least a conference finals, maybe even finals appearance. Uh, even if it's going to be a hard task for Steve Nash to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I I in terms of gelling, I mean, <laughs> I. I personally would rather see Harden go to Philly in exchange for Ben Simmons because I agree. I don't think that makes them that much better, uh, you know, replacing Sw- Simmons with Harden. Although, you know, Harden does make more sense in a Daryl Morey uh, composed team than Simmons does, unless 
Benton Simmons has uh, been secretly working on a jump shot the past few months, uh, which I, I doubt. Which I highly doubt, too. Brooklyn, though, would be – that would be just such an interesting thing to see how that plays out if you had Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden all on the same team. Because I feel like that team is either going to win the finals, be like one of the greatest teams ever, or it's going to be one of the greatest failures in sports history, which just <laughs> all three of those stars trying to come together. Yeah, and, and I, I would – yeah, it, I agree that it'll be super entertaining to watch to see how it unfolds and if it if they end up being yeah the greatest team ever or if they suck and I would or not suck but being a disappointment Anything and I would short I, of I would the lean Eastern Conference lean, Finals appearance would be yeah, disappointing. I would so. lean and I would lean disappointment if I had to pick between one or the it other. It feels like those are three ball dominant players and I don't know how they would necessarily yeah. mesh together. I mean that it would be a tall task for Steve Nash. You'd have Mike D'Antoni. Uh, you know, on as an assistant coach, I, I I think that he can maybe you know continue to make things work. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And Brooklyn really doesn't have a whole lot to offer Houston. I know that in order to make a trade happen, it would have to be Spencer Dinwiddie, Jarrett Allen. Is DeAndre Jordan still there? He is, but I don't think that. I mean, maybe from a contract perspective, but I don't think that. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of guys guy. outside of KD and Kyrie. Yeah, who, I mean, who would, who would they give up? And then, I'm, do they have draft picks? Rodion's Kirux is like a young guy that would probably go there. They, they would have to move a ton of draft picks, but I, I almost feel like Brooklyn would have to make a separate deal to be able to get the draft capital that Houston would want. It sounds like the Rockets are content going in with some unhappy campers and hoping that uh, they buy into the new system, the new coach, and you know what they're trying to do to reshape that organization uh, on the flip side it sounds like Westbrook trying to deal him is not going very well he does not have a ton of value I did hear that uh, you know according to Sham Sharanya that the Rockets and the Wizards were discussing a potential uh, Russell Westbrook and John Wall swap which I mean that, that I that doesn't make sense yeah I, I don't know I don't know why why Washington would necessarily want to do that um, I don't really know why Houston would want to do that but that just kind of shows where Westbrook's value is right now so it, it almost feels like if anyone's getting moved out of the two it's going to be Harden which uh, I think most people would not have expected given that Harden's been there for so long Westbrook only for a year uh, but it does go to show you just how quickly things change in the NBA these days because last offseason, the Rockets had to trade four first-round picks to turn Chris Paul into Russell Westbrook. And this offseason, Westbrook is almost impossible to trade while Chris Paul gets dealt to the Suns. And the Thunder got a pretty pretty good uh, value back, acquiring uh, Kelly Oubre and Ty, Ty Jerome as kind of the two main assets. They also got... Ricky Rubio in his contract and some pretty solid draft compensation from the Thunder uh, with some future first round picks. So uh, that's a move that I I think that that makes the Suns better. Where does that actually put them in the landscape of the entire Western Conference, though? I would still think that they're a low end playoff team. So I would say a seven or eight seed. So they barely missed the playoffs just this past season in the bubble when they were one of the yeah, hottest bubble teams. Yeah, and and that was with Booker and DeAndre Aiden, who both have bright futures. Uh, but they're a very young team, but they don't have any veteran presence. And I think Chris adding Chris Paul definitely helps. I I just I guess I wonder if if when Chris Paul and Devin Booker are both on the floor, uh, I'd imagine Chris Paul gets more the ball a lot more being the the true point guard. But I mean, does Devin Booker do they do they flip flop with each other or 
does Devin Booker have to become more of that Clay Thompson role? The lack of a, I mean, better player. I, I, I think that Booker is going to get his his fair share of touches. I think that it's it's basically you know Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander, but even way better. Because Devin Booker is an all-star caliber player. We don't know if SGA is going to get to that point. Uh, I think it's going to work out well. I think it's a really solid backcourt. Like you said, the Suns have a very strong veteran presence now, something they were lacking. Uh, in terms of what they gave up, they've they taken on a big contract. And uh, you know, the, I think that the Suns gave up a decent amount. The Thunder got a reasonable haul, much better than they would have expected to if they traded um, Paul like right away last year after trading um, away Westbrook. Uh, but I mean, I, I think the Suns. this is a move you have to do. They haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. They have to do something. And even just getting I mean, in as out- a seven seed <laughs> is a win for that organization. I mean, outside of Booker and Aiden, do you, do you care who you give up in, in that No, kind of not trade? at all. And you're willing to part with Kelly Oubre, who I think is going to be a free agent after the year anyway. Ricky Rubio, you know, he's, he's a solid point guard, but he's someone who's just going to the Thunder for the contract purposes. And uh, you know, Tyree Jerome is a guy who was a late first round pick. I think he's someone who could have good potential in Oklahoma City, but it's not like you're giving up a proven guy who you know is gonna be like a starter right away in Oklahoma City and you know a potential uh, cornerstone of your franchise in Phoenix is out the window. So uh, I think it's a really solid move for the Suns. That being said, the Western Conference is gonna be a very difficult challenge. I don't know what's gonna happen with Houston, but. Lakers aren't going anywhere. Clippers aren't going anywhere. Warriors are re-entering the picture. You got to think the Mavericks are going to be better. The Nuggets and the Jazz Nuggets should still and be Jazz good. Jazz are still pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm I, sure the Trailblazers will Trailblazers be in the will be in there. The Pelicans will, will still, you know, kind of in, in theory they'll they'll take a, a step forward. You know, as, as Zion Williamson plays, uh, you know, a full season. Brandon Ingram just another year. Memphis they're still in the the playoff picture. So the Western Conference is going to be a difficult conference, and I think adding an All Star like Chris Paul to an already all-star in Devin Booker and a potential all-star in DeAndre Ayton makes the Suns a very intriguing team. But, you know, I mean, just making the playoffs would be great for them. They, they, uh, it feels like it's going to take a, a huge leap for them to, you know, potentially find themselves in the second round. Uh, that being said, I think it's a, it's a great move for both teams. The Thunder, you know, it, it was time for a rebuild. They proved last year that uh, they, they were still a really talented team, but they they had to do a reset on the franchise. Yeah, yeah, you have to rebuild. I mean, and I know I know they made the playoffs, but they're not going anywhere with an aging Chris Paul and Stephen Adams and not much else more. And I, I, they have sixteen first round picks from now to two thousand twenty six. So I think that clearly tells you that they're in rebuild mode, and mm-hmm. they should be. Yeah. Yep. So it, it's going to be a while before the Thunder see themselves back in the playoff picture. But uh, they, their future certainly could be bright if they they make the most of those draft picks. Uh, and you know, in terms of another team that made some trades, the Milwaukee Bucks, and they they made a big trade for Drew Holiday. They traded away incumbent point guards Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, in addition to three first round picks and two pick swaps to get the New Orleans star two way guard in drew holiday someone who had been with the franchise for years uh new orleans a team like i said they have a lot of young talent but drew holiday is getting older i think it makes sense for the pelicans to move him on the flip side absolutely the kind of move you got to make if you're milwaukee if it's gonna lead to Giannis signing a supermax extension in the next few days and doing a sign trade with the kings to get bogdan bogdanovich you know you give up 
Dante DiVincenzo, who is a really solid six man, a great wing piece, but you get a guy in Bogdanovich who is better. You know, he's someone who's who's a little more proven. He's been in the league for a little while longer. Someone who was really strong for Sacramento last year, 15 points per game, 37% shooting from three. And when I look at this Milwaukee lineup, Drew Holiday, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez. To me, that's still a team that is right at the top of the Eastern Conference. We'll see what happens with Brooklyn. We'll see what happens with Philly, you know, and with James Harden. But uh, I, I really like these moves that Milwaukee made. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a big Drew Holiday fan. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. I agree with that. I don't think he gets enough credit. I mean, he has zero All Star appearances, but I think I think New Orleans was extremely happy with his play. And do you think do you think it was too much of a haul? I mean, I I mean, I'm not an Eric Bledsoe fan, but especially whenever whenever the Bucks play the Celtics, he disappears. He does not but have a proven er- playoff track record. That's for Eric sure. Bledsoe, George Hill, three first round picks. I mean, NBA. First round picks aren't really as valued as uh, NFL first round draft picks, so who knows? Maybe those are just throwaway picks. Uh, so, do you think? Do you think the Drew Holiday and Bogdanovich moves puts them over the top? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying win at all, but maybe not losing the second round again. Yeah, maybe no, I if think the they're both miles and upgrades maybe beyond. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all it, it all depends on what happens with Giannis. I don't at this point the Bucks don't make those moves and then just trade Giannis tomorrow. So to me, as long as you have the two-time reigning MVP, you are in uh, position to be the best team in the league. And I absolutely think that Milwaukee, depending on how they build the rest of their roster, uh, is certainly in play for that. They did give up a lot for Drew Holiday. I think part of that is because you're moving Eric Bledsoe's contract. He's signed through, I think, 2023. So the Pelicans, are they're kind of committing to to Bledsoe for a while so I think that's why you get those draft picks and uh, from both teams perspectives it makes sense because the Pelicans are getting the 2020 Indiana pick which is 24th but those two first round picks in addition 2025 and 2027 so that's way out we don't know what Milwaukee's gonna be like at that point and I don't think the Bucs should really concern themselves with that from New Orleans perspective, if Giannis does resign and then you know three four years from now he's out the door those picks could be awesome uh, you know, if, depending on what Milwaukee does after losing Giannis. So I, I think this is a really solid trade for both sides. You know, the Pelicans are turning a an older player who really doesn't fit their timeline into a lot of value, and Milwaukee yeah, is he, doing whatever yeah, it takes to keep Giannis. Yeah, even, though, yeah, even though I like Drew Holiday, I don't know how perfectly it fits with the, the younger core because, mm-hmm. let's face it, their their core is of Ball, Ingram, and uh, Zion, the those are the guys to focus on, and they're definitely a lot younger than Drew Holiday at this point. So, yeah, uh, yeah focus on those guys and try to try to build from there with the with those picks. Yeah, and there is a question of what New Orleans does now that they have Bledsoe and Hill to throw into Lonzo Ball. Hill certainly can be an, an off ball two guard, but. Uh, I do question whether 48 minutes is enough for Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball to be satisfied. So Lonzo did not play great in the bubble. Didn't seem like he was interested in being there. Now, obviously, it's a very different environment than just a normal NBA season. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Pelicans, instead of maybe trying to ship off Bledsoe, now that they required him, decide to move on from Lonzo Ball and uh, you know see what kind of value they get out of him. 
So I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued to see where, where the Pelicans go from here because they have all these first round picks from the Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday trades, and uh, you know, it feels like this I, is I, a team that's kind of on the, the verge of you know getting themselves truly into playoff contention. I'd rather see how that plays out with with the ball and Bledsoe because because Lonzo, yeah, he wasn't good in the bubble and he wasn't really great in L.A. But in the first half of the season with the Pelicans. He was honestly pretty good. Oh, he was and, awesome. Yeah, him and Zion yeah, had a great he, connection together. So, um, yeah, I so I want I want I want to see how that plays out first before I make any moves uh-huh, with, with with either of them. I can absolutely see that happening as well because unless the Pelicans make a move involving Lonzo Ball before the draft, I don't really know what they're gonna get out of him if they move him. So, um, and speaking of that, you know, we do have the draft coming up. Uh, you know, I. <laughs> This is kind of a weird year for us in that most of the top picks, you know, you didn't really get to see a whole lot in the college game because LaMelo Ball played overseas. James Wiseman was committed to Memphis and the NCAA decided to suspend him and he didn't end up playing very much at all for them. Anthony Edwards played at Georgia. They wouldn't have made the tournament if they had one. Uh, he's a guy who he played really well, but not on a very good team. So, uh, I guess just like going into this draft, you know, rather than kind of talking about specifically what player you would choose in a spot, you know, what, let's just kind of talk about the teams at the top because Minnesota and Golden State are not far removed from being playoff teams. Of course, the Warriors aren't far removed from winning the NBA Finals three times in four years. Uh, would if you were the GMs of those teams, do you think you would use those draft picks or you would try to, you know? Part, yeah, part with them in a trade to acquire veteran talent. Wow, that's tough. Um, for I think for Milwaukee, uh, not Milwaukee, for Minnesota, uh, I I would probably just take Ball. I mean, I, I best player in the draft, arguably, but uh, they have to they have to start somewhere. And um, they have DeAndre Russell and Carl. They have they have, they have Carl Anthony Towns, and I. Th- think they gotta they gotta set him up with someone but and yes they do have d'angelo russell as well so i think creating some sort of quote-unquote big three uh i think would be smart for minnesota and then for golden state i i think you can make an argument both ways for golden state uh i think you could definitely take wiseman and find a and and get a big man I, i i know they have draymond green but he's not a true big man and they have they of course they have the best backcourt in the in the league and uh, they have Wiggins, so I think that fills a hole uh, at the five position if they take Wiseman. But you can also make a trade at number two and get get a haul of guys or picks. And so I think I think for the Warriors it makes sense um, for trading or or taking the pick. Uh, and then uh, for the Hornets, I mean I don't even <laughs> I, for the Hornets I don't even know because they're not they don't exactly have the best roster <laughs> the hornets uh, were were linked to uh russell westbrook is apparently like they were they were interested in re- acquiring him which seems like a wild move for that team uh you know taking on that contract especially just given how financial shambles they had been in in recent years uh, personally if i'm minnesota i'm taking anthony edwards over Lamelo ball and i know you don't necessarily draft uh for positional fit but I think in this situation, when you have D'Angelo Russell, I would much rather have Anthony Edwards as a guy who can play off the ball. I think that he would be a better fit than Lamelo Ball there. Um, that being said, if they can turn that number one pick into, say, Bradley Beal or 
a player of that caliber who can, you know, give you three proven like all stars in Minnesota, that makes you so much better, especially in a loaded Western Conference. I don't know if either Ball or Edwards puts you over the edge. In terms of Golden State, I I like the idea of them taking Wiseman, taking a guy who, uh, you know, he's on a he's going to be on a rookie contract. He's someone who, as a number two pick, is going to be making more than most other rookies, but he's still not going to be making a ton of money compared to some of the veterans you could acquire. Uh, I think. There are some guys that maybe make a ton of sense. I've seen a ton of different moves. Blake Griffin would be an interesting one if they they move back to seven with Detroit, send out Andrew Wiggins and bring in Blake Griffin. They also have a $17 million trade exception. So Golden State has a lot of possibilities to make a move. Uh, I've heard that they're likely to use a number two pick, but I, I would not be shocked at all if they make a huge splash at number two. So how, how do you think, how do you view Blake Griffin at this point in his career? I think he's, he's really solid big man still I know he battled injuries in Detroit but when he was healthy he willed the Pistons to the playoffs and he did everything he could to maybe look a little respectable against the Bucks, and they got swept in 2019 I, I think that Blake Griffin would be a very interesting fit in Golden State alongside uh, Draymond Green but he's someone who's definitely put in the effort to uh, expand his game and develop a jump shot and uh, I think it would be really cool to see Blake Griffin win a championship, even if it's with the Warriors. So I, w- I would certainly be a fan of that move. Though see, th- th- it does kind of feel like they need more of a traditional center. I'll say. Yeah, that. and I, that that's kind of why I I said that you know just take just take Wiseman and and have him develop and because like I said they don't have a true big man. Draymond Green const- is constantly playing center, and when he's when he's like six eight six or, yep. or and playing playing against guys that are a lot bigger than him and um so i think moving him to the four and getting a true big man uh would definitely help them and they could potentially get onyeka kungu uh if they trade down and maybe don't they, they want to get like a wing player you know just something instead he's uh some some people think he's even better than wiseman and he's the best big man in this draft class so i, I think they have possibilities within the draft class don't necessarily need to at a veteran, but you know when you're in that win now mode, there's certainly an appeal in getting someone you know is proven rather than hoping to kind of you know get lucky with with one of these prospects. So, all right, uh, any other closing thoughts you want to throw out there in terms of the the NBA draft? All right, <laughs> not at all. I, I'm I'm just hoping the Celtics don't hoard their all their first round picks and send them out to to the main red clause or in Europe yeah. <laughs> and, and I want them to I want them to move them whether that's moving up or getting someone getting a legit player and doesn't have to be a starter can be a a solid backup guy who a shooter a big man whatever I want I want to I don't want them to take three useless guys again and and have them being sent out to Maine or Europe. I do again. think I, I want yeah. them. To, I want them to do something. <laughs> uh-huh. No, I, I agree. I do think the Celtics end up making a move. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of move that is, whether it's moving up in the draft or, you know, turning those picks into actual like veteran proven players. Uh, it's going to be an interesting, you know, 24 plus hours for uh, the Celtics and, and their fans. So, all right. Uh, with that, let's uh, let's move on from the NBA talk, and uh, we have our NFL segment with Cam. So uh, let's get to it. All right. So we are here with tonight's special guest, my brother Cameron. And uh, Cam, welcome back. It's been a little while since you've come on. He's done it. Uh, for those of you who 
have been with us for a while. You'll probably remember back in April and I think into May, Cam was on to help us with our 2020 NFL draft preview prediction special thing and recap uh, a couple episodes. So if you didn't listen to those, we're still kind of early into the NFL season, early into these rookies' careers. So it would be fun to go back and uh, give that one a play and just kind of see how things uh, sound based on you know what we've seen to this point in the NFL season. Uh, but for now, let's uh, let's talk about actually where we are in the NFL season. And we're going to do this episode a little bit differently than uh, some of our more recent NFL talks where we'll be talking more holistically at the league rather than kind of looking at the action from this just this past week. Just kind of talk about where things stand, how we see things moving forward. And we're going to do conference by conference. So let's start in the AFC. And heading into the season, I think that probably all three of us and most listeners kind of felt that the AFC was a league with two uh, top heavy teams in the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens and everybody else. Well, through 10 weeks and nine games, we're right with Kansas City being up there, but the Pittsburgh Steelers are above everyone else at 9-0 and while the Baltimore Ravens are lagging far behind. So, yeah, I don't want to say anything is inevitable uh, given the the track record of the Steelers in the playoffs in recent years, but it almost kind of feels like we're in this boat where it is just two teams. It's just a, a different team than we imagined uh, and heading down to that potential path of a clash in the playoffs between Kansas City and Pittsburgh. Well, first off, I want to say thanks for having me back. I could not have done the intro better. And uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, Coming into the uh, season, it really felt like the Ravens uh, clinched the division before week one, and all of a sudden we're sitting here and they just lost to the abysmal Patriots in a game that they really looked horrible. Lamar Jackson has been awful this year, and the Steelers have been unreal, and the, I mean, Mahomes is Mahomes. It's been, it's been interesting. It's been surprising, but it, it probably shouldn't have been. I'm not surprised that the Ravens have regressed a little bit, even though I thought that it was a top-heavy conference with Casey, Baltimore, and then everyone else. Uh, I I did think Casey was the best, and Baltimore would regress a little bit and be the second-best team, but they're even more overrated than I expected, and uh, they haven't been very... Like, like Cam said, Lamar Jackson and the rest of the Ravens really haven't been that great uh, over the past few weeks. Yeah, they beat the Colts, uh, who are a decent playoff contender but they had uh, a, a big loss versus Pittsburgh and yes Pittsburgh is very very good and even great team but it's still a big game that that they should have been more prepared for and they had some costly turnovers and then this past Sunday yeah they lose to the abysmal Patriots who I, I I mean I don't watch every single game every week but I do watch every Patriots game and They've been pretty terrible this year, but they've had they had their best game this past Sunday, and I don't know if that's more credit to the Patriots or if that's more on the Ravens for kind of kind of giving up in that game after the Burkhead touchdown and then coming out hot in the second half. So uh, we'll see uh, how the Ravens uh, go go from here. The uh, the Ravens definitely made a lot of moves to improve their defense. Uh, back in March, they traded for Calais Campbell from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then even midseason. They traded for Yannick Ngokwe, former Jaguar who was dealt to Minnesota and then eventually ended up in Baltimore in a subsequent trade. So they 
drafted Patrick Queen in the first round. I know that was a move that you loved, Cam. But the issue with Baltimore is really kind of felt like their offense. And to what extent it is Lamar Jackson taking a step back versus the offensive line just not being able to help them out. And their uh, you know playbook with uh, Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator just getting a little too predictable, not, not expanded enough. And I think that's uh, certainly led to Baltimore taking a step back, at least in the standings. But I don't know if I would totally write them off just yet, though they do have a two-game hole now just to get to the two-seed, which doesn't even give you a buy anymore, let alone a three-game deficit in both the AFC standings as well as the AFC North behind the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at 9-0. and And let's kind of talk about Pittsburgh because throughout the season, this team has found ways to win games where either it looked like they were probably going to lose them or... It looked like they were in great shape to win and almost collapsed at the end. And you know, maybe they played a really bad team where they didn't necessarily win handily, but they never let uh, them get into it. And week 10, they face a Cincinnati Bengals team led by rookie sensation quarterback Joe Burrow, a team that looks improved from last year. They've already won two games, which was all they won all of last season. And uh, a lot of experts were thinking coming off the Cowboys' near win over the Steelers in week nine that maybe Pittsburgh could finally lose their first game they go on to win 36 a ton just totally destroying the Bengals so at this point given what you saw on Sunday do you have any questions about just how great the Steelers are maybe not in like 2007 Patriots like 16 and 0 but at least that they are truly a top two team in the AFC and right up there in the entire NFL I absolutely think they are up there I mean and I think they're legit. I mean, you look at this defense, and yeah, it's been shaky at times. But I mean, from week one, I were they the first game? No, they were. They like were the Monday first, night were week one. Monday night, the first Monday night. Okay, I remember a night game. I wasn't sure. Um, they faced the Giants with Saquon Barkley, and it's hard to say that a punter couldn't have done the same thing in the backfield. I mean, he looked helpless. And that, I mean, that from going forward, they've had so many games like that. Like the Ravens, they won on defense. Their offense was running around with just like their heads cut off and they killed them. I mean, they're, or not killed them and they won by four, but they forced what? Two fumbles. I know Lamar yeah, I think two Lamar picks. had four turnovers. He had two four fumbles yeah, and two I mean, interceptions. Against the reigning he, MVP, he had a, he, that's he, really, he, really impressive. Yeah, he had a couple really bad ones in Lamar Jackson in that game where he had this just easy interception to the Steelers in the red zone and in the Pittsburgh red zone. And it, that was one of the turning points in that game. Well, they threw a pick six on like the first play of the game, didn't they? And yeah. So was, it was the first drive. It was the first drive. Yeah. Second play of the game made me I mean, but you watch that game and there were points where they looked dominant. They against one of the best offenses in the league. I'd like to see them play the chiefs. I don't look at their schedule. They don't. No, but. the the Steelers they have a a very favorable schedule. Like I won't deny that. I understand. I mean, for the first like four or five episodes, we did even doing it biweekly or so. Like Brian, every yeah, time I, re- was- I mean, the first the first four or five weeks, uh, <laughs> Corey kept asking for my opinion on the Steelers, and I'm I'm just thinking, well, it's kind of the same as last week because they they e- they easily won they handily won, but they they beat on some crap teams, and I was waiting for them to have some better competition and they got that out of Tennessee and Baltimore Cleveland and before that too Cleveland, Cleveland before that right embarrassed 
Yeah, and of course, like Cincinnati is not in the same realm. They're not going no, to the playoffs this but year. They embarrassed Cincinnati too. Oh, for thirteen on third down. Like you, really? I don't know how you can watch that game. And I, I, I'm not going to name names. I just know that someone in one of our fantasy football leagues decided when the Steelers were up twenty nine to seven, now is the time to call them frauds. And it yeah. just none of us thought that made any sense. <laughs> Um, but I think the big thing is, yeah, we talk a lot about how dominant this defense was. We know how great they were last year. Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges would not go 8-8 eight and eight on most teams in the NFL, and they, uh, of course, were able to do that last year. But the offense this year has been so much better with Ben Roethlisberger playing, and he hasn't even been like all that amazing this year, but he's coming off a week where he didn't practice because he was in the COVID-19 protocol, found out the day before the game he was cleared, ready to go, and he goes out and throws for 333 yards, a season high, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Oh, no, I, I, to- I totally agree with that. Coming in the year, I had no questions about their defense. They were coming in the year as probably arguably the best defense in the league. But there were more questions about how their offense was going to do. Now, of course, adding Ben into the starting lineup instead of Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges is already a plus. But there was still a little bit of a question mark. Uh, and they've proven that they've been very good this year especially chase claypool i i knew he'd be pretty good maybe but not not this good i had no Given idea what to expect that of him but he's been a, a second round long. pick and he was picked by pittsburgh who clearly knows what they're doing at the wide receiver position yeah he already has nine touchdowns on the season which is the uh, third most by a steelers rookie and he only needs and De- two more and deontay johnson set the record deontay johnson as, as well i mean yeah he's been injured in a few games but the games he has played he's been doing very well and he's been averaging I think double digit targets at each game so Ben clearly uh, likes to give him the ball as well yeah um I actually felt very different about their offense coming in I felt really confident in their receiving core because Juju I mean is not a number one receiver but he's really good I thought Deion Johnson was better than Juju coming into this season which he's had flashes of brilliance, then flashes of, oh my goodness, what are you doing? And he's, you know, struggled to stay healthy, obviously. But they had the receiving core. They had Big Ben, who people are saying he's going to take a step back. Well, his last healthy season, he threw for, what, 5,000 yards? Yeah, I think he led the league in passing yards. <laughs> he, he was the, His best season of his career was his last healthy one. What was really going to change in one season? But the big concern wasn't, them it was the Ravens were supposed to be so good they that was why they weren't supposed to have a chance to win the division wasn't that they were going to go you know nine and seven it was they were going to go 13 and three and it wouldn't be enough yeah coming into the season I felt like the Steelers were the third best team in the AFC and one of the top two just happened to be in their division and uh, to this point it's definitely looked like Pittsburgh is better than Baltimore uh, in the sense that they beat the Ravens and they also haven't had just like really bad games against some of their best competition with Baltimore really struggling against Kansas City at least early and they weren't able to come back and then you know against the Patriots this past week which uh, we'll kind of get more into that one Um, so I guess in terms of Kansas City though they're eight and one on the season and I know they lost to the Raiders but even as a Steelers fan I would think that the Chiefs are still the best team not just in the AFC but the entire National Football League I agree with that as well yeah I think it's hard to I would never pick against Patrick Mahomes ask me 10 years from now I still will not pick against Patrick Mahomes he's just a generational talent like he's gonna be they're gonna be so good for a while 
Yeah, and I think that the big thing with Kansas City for me isn't necessarily even just their offense. Of course, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, they added Clyde Edwards, Elair, and Le'Veon Bell, who really hasn't even done a whole lot to this point. I know he's only played in a couple games, but the defense has been so much better than we're used to. And I know last year they took a big leap when they brought in C.U. Spagnolo, changed their entire defensive unit, and they also added Tyron Matthew, Frank Clark, and uh, the, the defense continues to improve. To me, I don't think that they're quite as good as the Pittsburgh defense, but the Chiefs offense just has so many playmakers. And while Pittsburgh certainly does, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is, is above Ben Rossberger. So to me, like I would be very excited to see those two teams play. I absolutely think Pittsburgh can win that game, especially if it's at Heinz Field as opposed to Arrowhead or even on a neutral site if they have to bubble the playoffs for whatever reason. But ultimately, I, I do think that the Chiefs are still a better team. Uh, though their schedule is a little more difficult, uh, so if the Steelers can hold their own, I know they they have some tough matchups, including uh, upcoming game against the Ravens. They play at Buffalo, at Cleveland. They also host the um, Colts in Week 16. The Chiefs still have to make trips to Tampa, Tampa and Kansas City. They also have to play a Dolphins team on the road that's looking really good right now. They play the Raiders in Vegas this week, a team that they lost to. So. You know, if Kansas City is truly good, they're going to be able to win these games, but they can certainly be susceptible to some losses that could kind of drop them down into the standings or at least hold them in the two spot and not get them the buy. So from there, and we've talked a lot about the Ravens, they find themselves as a seven seed right now in the AFC playoffs because there are six teams that are six and three. And that's not even counting the Bills who are seven and three. Uh, following their loss to the Cardinals this week. So Indianapolis and Tennessee played on Thursday night. The Titans were 5-0. and They've lost three out of the last four, and they're totally out of the playoff field right now. Vegas Raiders and the Miami Dolphins are both wild cards at 6-3. and So of this group, who do you think kind of stands out in terms of being the best in there? Or at least a team that you're like, okay, like if you're going to separate the pack, who's going to find themselves in much better position, maybe clinching a playoff berth sooner than the others? If I had to pick between all those six and three teams in the AFC, I would probably say the Titans are my favorite out of all of them just because of uh, how well coached they are and what they were able to do last season. And and I, I've i said coming in the year that they would regress and yeah, they they had a couple bumps in the road versus Pittsburgh, and they certainly didn't play well versus Cincinnati. But otherwise, they've been pretty good this season, and and they sh- they should be able to continue that. And I think they could. I still think they'll win the division as well in the AFC South. So I'm going to go with Tennessee out of those out of those choices, especially since I don't have full confidence in the rest of them. I actually disagree in that division. Um, I actually go with the Colts because of how good their defense has been one and two I mean how good their running game looks with their 17 backs that they have they're just throwing out like who was the one that had the big game uh, Naeem Jordan Hines. Oh, Naeem Hines, Naeem Jordan Hines. Uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, Jonathan Taylor Jordan Wilkins yeah, Marlon Mack towards ACL and we oh my won. god you have Marlon Mack I forgot about yeah him. so they're without their number one and all of a sudden they have three that are coming together to equal a really good backfield and then they have I think the number one passing and number one rushing defense in terms of yards, their defense is really, really good. Their offense, if you, when you run the ball and have a good defense, you're very hard to beat. You're managing the clock well. You're keeping your opponent off the field when you have the best defense. 
that's a recipe for success to me. I like the Colts. I will say though that 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 game uh, with the Titans and the Colts that didn't help my case. Since <laughs> the Colts won by seventeen yeah. <laughs> on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, but I'll still I still will stick with the Titans. So coming into the season, I I mean I was big on the Texans. I did not expect there to be a huge train wreck. Sorry, Cam. Um, but uh, I've been I also really high on Ryan Tannehill. I thought that the Titans would get back to the playoffs. I didn't think that the Colts were as good as a lot of people were making them out to be. And really, to me, the biggest thing was I didn't think Philip Rivers was all that great. I thought he was really bad with the Chargers, and I didn't think that uh, he would help the Colts win. And uh, he certainly hasn't been amazing this year, but he's done enough. And like Cam said, their defense is loaded. And I don't want to give up on Tannehill, but it's hard to because his past three games, he's really struggled. He's been under 300 yards. I think he was actually under 200, uh, at least in the Colts loss. Uh, That was a really, really bad performance by the Titans offense in the second half. Tennessee's next two games at Baltimore at Indianapolis and then they host the Browns they really need to turn this thing around they also play Green Bay in week 16 in Lambeau so uh, I feel like I kind of have to lean toward the Colts right now in the AFC South but the team that I think and I don't know if I'm crazy for saying this but can't the Ravens still run the table here yeah, like, aren't they that good enough that, yeah, I know they have some losses. They already lost to the Steelers. They have to play them in Pittsburgh in a couple weeks. And that's after playing at or at home against Tennessee, who they, they lost to in that building uh, last year in the playoffs very badly. But from there, the schedule really softens. They play at Cleveland on Monday Night Football, but they get to play like the Cowboys, the Giants, the Bengals. Uh, the Jaguars and the Jaguars okay yeah Yeah. so they're to me the Ravens are a team I I mean I hope they at least finish 12 and 4 with a loss to Pittsburgh and uh you know that would be enough in my opinion to get the Steelers uh you know at least winning the AFC North but I don't think that we're gonna see Baltimore kind of clawing their way into a postseason berth I think that you know they have a, a tough stretch here we can maybe see another loss or two but I think they're at least going to be riding hot to end the season, and uh, they should be able to find themselves in a good position to end up as uh, you know, the five seed here, uh, provided you, that they wouldn't you, win the division. How do you guys feel about their offense? Because, I, I mean, I know Baltimore's? I think Cam, you like their offense a lot, Who? right? I mean, I don't, the, the Ravens. So I'm indifferent on the Ravens because I really like their defense. I think they still have one of the best defenses in the league, even though they haven't played like it. Like top-to-bottom roster, they're – unreal it doesn't make sense that they've been not dominant to me but you look at the numbers Lamar Jackson has more games under 100 yards than he has over even oh wait no so he had a 275 but other than that I mean his highest was 249 against the Patriots last week he's had two or he's had a two interception game he's had an under 100 yards passing game and he hasn't broken 300 passing I don't know that I can get behind that that is a is he playing in like Madden or not Madden? We always say that. Is he playing in the 1920s or the or 2020? <laughs> like, come on, that's just not a recipe for winning football. Yeah, I don't have a problem with their defense. It's really more of their offense that I have an issue with. Because I mean, it's, I, I mean, after Lamar, I don't love. I, I've said this before. I don't love their uh, weapons on offense after Lamar. Because I mean, Marquise Brown, yeah, he has plenty of speed, but he's been a little underwhelming this year. And then Willie Sneed, he had a touchdown last last Sunday but he's not that great and Mark Andrews I thought he'd be good this year and he's been all right he's had a couple really good games but he's 
really tailed off uh, in the last several games, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about their offense. And then they got they got Mark Ingram back, but I don't. I have I have more questions offensively than than defensively for the for the Ravens. I, I agree with that, and that's why I, I, it feels crazy to think that they're not gonna you know stumble and they're they're not going to. Uh, keep losing some of these games you know even though their schedule is great uh i do think that they can turn things around with lamar jackson because he is the reigning mvp he is a great quarterback but their offensive line has uh certainly been hit hard by injuries losing ronnie stanley to the season does not help at all and uh i do think that's gonna ultimately hold baltimore back at least when you look at things you know heading into the postseason and beyond so Three teams left at 6-3 and three that we haven't talked about. At least one of them has to make the playoffs. That's the Cleveland Browns, Miami Dolphins, and Las Vegas Raiders. And I think it's reasonable to say that all three of those teams have exceeded expectations. We know Cleveland was uh, very talked about heading into last season. And they have, uh, you know, certainly last year they, they disappointed. But this year at 6-3, and three, they're holding their own. And then the Raiders, we knew that... Uh, John Gruden was a big hiring, bringing in Mike Mayock as GM. They're another team that we thought would maybe take a little while to come together. Maybe this is soon. And then ultimately Miami, a team that people thought, you know, this time last year, like, you know, they had just like won their first or second game of the season. And uh, a lot of people thought that was overachieving. Now, all of a sudden they find themselves very much in the playoff picture. Um, Which of these three teams or maybe even more do you think ultimately is going to end up in the postseason field? For me, it's the Dolphins. Uh, I mean, look at their schedule. So they're six and three. They're six and you three. Said, oh, these yep. are all six and three. Okay. So at Denver, love it. At Jets, I mean, that should be a walkthrough. It's their zero and nine. Hosting the Bengals, that's a really fun one. I mean, you got Tua and um, Joe Burrow. Uh, hosting the Chiefs, I don't see how they would win that game, but that would be awesome. That would be really cool to see Tua beat. Mahomes uh hosting the Patriots I don't like the Patriots I think the Dolphins can win that at Raiders that's a good matchup I mean you you were just talking about the Raiders the Raiders have been up and down but they're a good football team and then at Bills is a really tough one that honestly I think that game could be a winner gets a division I think it has that potential which is awesome for the Dolphins because last year I had them my prediction was 0 and 16 yeah (laughs) well before I get to my pick I have I kind of have questions about the Dolphins because I mean, no, they've been awesome the past few weeks, but uh, I still feel like their offensive line is one of the worst in the league. And I also feel like, yes, Tua has been pretty good in the last his, his first few games, but he, he didn't do that much in the Rams game and uh, kind of didn't even need to do much in the Chargers game. It was really the Cardinals game where he really shined. But I just feel like, one, their offensive line has been is bad, but two, I wonder also if, if eventually Tua is going to have that rookie moment and teams are going to catch up to him and watch the tape a little bit more I just want to know if you have any concerns about Tua going forward the rest of the year or if do you think he can keep this up I think he can keep it up he really hasn't shown anything that would say otherwise I mean look at these games uh 248 and two touchdowns when you mentioned the Cardinals the Rams he yeah he didn't do anything 93 yards and a touchdown did he play that full game he did yeah he played that whole game and threw for 93 yards yeah. So what did they throw it they like had 15 times? Two defensive touchdowns. Yeah, oh, the, okay. their defense were they were the 85 or maybe Bears a special out there. teams. They okay. had a punt return touchdown. Oh yeah, yeah it was a, I think Jakeem Grant maybe. Um but 
And then the Chargers, I mean, 169 and two touchdowns, 60% completion, 106.9 rating. That's a great game. That sounds like the, I mean, he's managing a game like Jimmy Garoppolo did last year and no one was saying anything. I mean, that those are pretty similar to game management numbers and you don't get that out of a rookie very often. Doesn't make mistakes. No, and I know Brian commented on their offensive line. He wasn't sacked at all against the Chargers and the the Chargers are definitely I mean their defense has been disappointing this year but that that's that still seems like an impressive stat. I'm I'm pretty high on the Dolphins as well. Ultimately, um, I think they need to win their next 3 games because the schedule down the stretch having to play Kansas City, New England, Las Vegas and Buffalo, those all are going to be tougher than Denver, New York, Cincinnati. So if they can get to 9 and 3 and maybe grind their way, pick up another win or two, that will certainly help them out. Um but I mean just talking about Tua, you know, there've been talks all throughout the season when Justin Herbert was playing well for the Chargers. Did the Dolphins make the wrong move? Did they take the wrong guy? I think that Tua's performance, you know, holding his own, beating the Chargers on Sunday should at least put that to bed for a little while. You know, obviously three games don't make a career, but I think that he's uh, proven that, hey, maybe it's just like the 2004 draft class and you have three really great players in it. I actually, if we're talking hindsight, think... If there was a redraft right now, same order, I don't even think there's a QB available at six. I think that Burrow still goes one. Either probably Herbert goes, where would it be? Two the Giants Washington? at three. I think the Giants, Giants take Herbert yeah. or four. And then the uh, Dolphins get the other guy. Oh, the Dolphins get two. So yeah, then the Chargers end up screwed. That's who it would be. But I, I don't think that the Dolphins are... I think they're very happy that they got him. I... I think hindsight, wanted, yes, that sets in, but that's a he's a really great great player, and he's shown it. Mm-hmm. They wanted to tank for Tua, and they didn't even get the first pick, but they were still yeah. able to get. Yep, yep. One thing I one thing I like about the Dolphins is that I, we, Corey and I talked about this last week. If if I wanted the Patriots to tank or not, and I was totally for for the most part outside of that fourth quarter versus the Jets, I've been really against it just because I feel like that is not the right way to do it in the NFL by just tanking for the number one pick. And yes, you get the number one pick, but you don't, it doesn't really establish a great culture and the quarterback can't do everything on his own. And I think the Dolphins, the way they ended last season and how they were trending upward and with some good coaching and then they get some players in the off season, I think the Dolphins have been handling it the right way. So Brian, I guess who's your team that you, um, I mean, I I know that I've been super down on the on Baker Mayfield, but I am impressed with their running game a lot. And Nick Chubb is back, and he looked great uh, versus Houston this past Sunday in a grinding out win. Their defense is is another. The the AFC North is just loaded with good defenses, and Miles Garrett he's arguably the defensive player of the year. And uh, maybe their schedule isn't as easy as the Dolphins, but they do have. They do have the Jags coming up. They have Philly this week, and I think Philly is dreadful. They look terrible versus the Giants. So they got Philly, they got Jacksonville, and if I think Tennessee will start will start to play a little bit better. But if they trend downward, uh, maybe they can win that game. Uh, and they have the Giants and the Jets. So if I had to pick between the three, I would go with the Browns. Actually, even though I'm I've constantly talked down on Mayfield, I still like the rest of their team. So I love that all three of these teams are going to end up facing each other. We already had the Raiders play the Browns. Uh, We said the Raiders and Dolphins play Week 16 in Las Vegas, and 
Um, am I making it up? Never mind. The Dolphins didn't even play the Browns. I'm just looking at the Raiders schedule. Yeah, I was just saying. I love that. Yeah, I love that the Raiders play the Dolphins and Browns, and they also play the Colts at home. And I don't think they're going to beat Kansas City at home. I know they already beat them. I don't think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are going to let that happen again. But I really like the Raiders and what they're doing. I think that Derek Carr is slowly becoming one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. He's certainly Six- not... Yeah. 16 touchdowns and two, only two interceptions all season. He's he's not killing this team. Like I think that's kind of what the issue with him is that at times like it, it he's not putting this team in positions to win games. And and this this performance he's had this season I think has been very impressive. I don't know if he's going to be uh like a pro bowl caliber quarterback this year. But I certainly think that he's capable of leading this team. They play the Falcons and the Jets on the road. They play the Chargers again. And then they end the season with Denver. So if they can take care of business against Indianapolis and Miami, we're going to see the Las Vegas Raiders in the postseason, which, uh, you know, I, I think that would certainly be a huge accomplishment. I really wouldn't be surprised if two of these three teams get in. I think that is, I don't think we're going to have an 11 and 5 team miss the playoffs. Uh, I think it'd be crazy with seven teams getting in, but I certainly think that a team could go 10 and 6 and uh, still not make the field. Uh, I think that, you know, it's going to be really fun to see these playoff races as the season goes on in the AFC. All right. So uh, before we wrap things up in the AFC, let's take some time to talk about the Patriots who. Looked like they were dead in the water at two and five uh, after losing to the Buffalo Bills a couple weeks ago, and it looked like they were uh, almost not even in the running for the playoffs anymore. But in the running for potentially the number one overall pick, or at least a very high draft pick, when they were losing to the Jets most of last week before ultimately coming back, and then they come out and beat the Ravens. So the Patriots are four and five; they're two games out of the playoff field, but. Brian, are you starting to kind of feel like, okay, maybe they're bringing me back in. Maybe Bill Belichick can keep this going, and suddenly the Patriots can uh, you know, at least be playoff contenders late into the season? I say maybe just because they've obviously been playing a little bit better of late, and I think they've accepted the fact that they're really a run-first team, and not just because of Newton, but Damian Harris uh, last couple games has been great. He's had... 22 carries and on 121 rushing yards uh, this past Sunday. And I, I love what I've seen from him. And I love what I've seen from Burkhead. I think he's arguably the most been the most consistent player uh, on the Patriots this season. And Jacoby Myers is probably, he's been their best player the past couple of games. And I've loved what, what I've seen from him, but I still think they lack a lot of, lack the weapons on offense. Because outside of Jacoby Myers, they really don't have, anyone through like Rex Burkhead might be their second best receiver I wish they throw to James White a little bit more but unfortunately they haven't gotten him involved too much but again after Jacoby Myers it's it's kind of a wasteland at receiver Demir Bird's been pretty good but he he hasn't been the most consistent uh targeted guy in their offense and then Nikhil Harry I've said multiple times that he sucks and I, I don't know if Julian Edelman's gonna be able to come back or not uh, so are they trending in the right direction and can they make make it a more interesting season? Yes, but but I still lean them being out of the playoff picture, especially when we just talked about all the teams that are ahead of them at six and three right now. So um so I like what I've seen lately. Uh not just not just offensively with the guys I just talked about, but defensively they played great. It's probably is arguably their best best game all season given their opponent. And I like what I saw from Kyle Duggar and Chase Winovich. Uh, so, so I'm glad that Belichick has leaned on the younger guys a little bit, but ultimately I still lean, lean with them being out of the picture. I, 
I mean, it's so irritating that they beat the Ravens because now they're just, you know, people are going to talk like, oh, they're back. But they almost lost to the Jets. The Jets are losing like 12 to 28 on average. Like, it's they're miserable. And the Patriots almost lost to them. Like, yes, they beat the Ravens. And that's a that's a really that's a quality win. But are we really going to entertain them being all of a sudden a playoff team? I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm hate not that I'm, it's relying on them going into Houston now. Yeah, <laughs> I hate that the Texans are the ones that need to try to put them out of their misery because I don't know if they can do it. But I, it is promising. The Patriots are one in three on the road. I a lot of teams have been hit by the road, and they're going into Houston. That's a lot tougher for them. And they've also played the Chiefs without Cam and Cam Newton, and and they played the Seahawks uh, as as two of their road games, like two of the toughest teams to play on the road. So I, so I think it'll be a, an easier opponent for the Patriots uh, yeah, next Sunday versus Houston. But but the but the Texans are favored by a field goal. So are they favored? Yeah, the Texans are actually. Favored. I think that might be the first time they've been favored this season. I maybe <laughs> yeah. the Jaguars, probably the Jaguars. I mean, those are the only two wins. Uh, I mean, so it is two polar opposite wins we're talking about: uh, barely beating the Jets and beating the Ravens. Mm-hmm. So you know, for all intents and purposes, let's just say that the Patriots beat the tex- Texans on Sunday. Is that okay, Cam? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> theoretically, I don't pick the Texans. <laughs> yeah. So the Patriots' next three games versus Arizona, and then trips to the two LA teams, the Chargers and the Rams. I think it's two games in five days, and then they end the season with their three AFC opponents and the Dolphins, Bills, and Jets. So you can kind of see the path to New England really turning this thing around. Now, Arizona, LA, LA. Those are three difficult games. They absolutely need to win two of those. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. And even dolphins and bills. I mean, those are two teams that historically you're like, Oh yeah, the Patriots are going to go six and oh in the AFC East this year. That's definitely not, not the case. I know they beat the dolphins in week one, uh, but they historically have not been all that great playing in Miami. And then the bills are much better this year than we're used to. So it's going to be challenging for them to get there. But I do kind of see like, just when you count out bill Belichick, when you count out this team, them starting to string together some of these games and uh, you know pull out wins when their backs are against the wall and you don't think that they're going to and all of a sudden we're talking now is New England if they beat the Jets they're in the postseason. Uh, I don't. I think it's kind of a long shot. Like we said, there are so many teams that they would have to leapfrog uh, while they're already two games back of them. But it does kind of feel like okay now that the Patriots aren't going to be like in the talks for one of like the very high draft picks and getting a quarterback maybe we all of a sudden are going to keep seeing them in the hunt graphic and uh you know they they they're not going to be eliminated from playoff contention just yet yeah i can see them hanging around until the finish and they they have a good win like they did this past sunday and pe- convince people that some people that they're back and they're they're going to start winning some more games and then they'll have a game like they did versus the niners a couple weeks ago and think the that it's all over, um, tank, and let's try to work for next season. Uh, so I agree. I mean, looking at the schedule, like you said, the Texans, that's definitely a winnable game. I don't know if they will win, but it's definitely a winnable situation. But I agree that they they need to win at least two of those next three versus the Cardinals, Chargers, and Rams, uh, given how, especially the Cardinals and Rams, how they played this year. 
Yeah, I certainly won't be rooting for it, but uh, I know that it's foolish to count out that team, and I'm not going to just yet, especially after they win over the Ravens. I think the Texans is a must-win. Oh, absolutely. The season's over if they lose. Yeah, the the Ravens' win means nothing if they lose to the Texans. Yeah, if they lose to the Texans, it's just... It was just a get your hopes up, New England fans, Belichick's back, Cam Newton, MVP, even though I I think, didn't someone else throw a touchdown for them? Jacoby Myers. Yeah, Jacoby Myers. Yeah. Yeah, He's their, he's their not only their best receiver, he might be their best quarterback too. Yeah, he's, (laughs) he's just the new Randy Moss. Just a a stud in New England. (sighs) Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I know it is uh, something that could sound kind of silly to talk about, um, depending on what happens this Sunday. But let's move on to the NFC. And uh, first question is, who's the best team in the NFC? And who would you have said was the best team in the NFC a week ago and maybe like three weeks ago before the season? Because it's changing every single week. Like, is there a team that you look at and definitively say, like, this team is number one in this conference? No. Uh, If I had to... I mean, if I had to pick, I'd go with the Saints because I. Oh, I, I mean, yes, Drew Brees is now hurt, so we'll see how they do with Winston. Likely going to IR. And, yeah, oh, we'll see how they he? do with Winston and Taysom, but I that that win versus Tampa, yeah, Tampa sucked, but that that's a convincing road win. I I, I know Tampa has had had some moments, but they're def, they're a good football team, but, and for them to win the way they did versus them, and then yeah, the Niners without Garoppolo and Kittle and many other guys aren't good, but that was still another great win at home. So I I think the past couple, two or three weeks, have changed my mind a little bit on the the Saints being the best team. I, I still think they've been really good, uh, but in terms of the, who the best team is, uh, I would I change my mind. I don't pick the Saints. I am actually surprisingly between the Packers and actually the Cardinals are a team that I, I really think is a really good football team. I know they just barely squeaked out that win, but I I really like the Cardinals and especially in that division where they have they have to face the Rams, the Seahawks, the 49ers. It's a very tough division sitting at 6 and 3. I think you feel really happy there. And I think if they're able to clean up a lot of things i think they could actually end up being one of the top teams in this conference i wouldn't count them out of winning of uh winning that conference my thing with the cardinals is that i think they've been the most maybe surprising team or maybe i don't know if surprising is the right word because i think a lot of people including Corey, had them as dark horse candidates to make the playoffs yep uh I think the thing with me with the cardinals is obviously murray and hopkins are great and that connection with them with those two has developed a lot better and quicker than I imagined uh I thought it would take a little bit more time given uh not only Hopkins just getting there but also with COVID going on uh hurting hurting them in training camp a little bit uh but I think that with the Cardinals it's defensively that I worry about because I mean Patrick Pearson is kind of trash at this point Mm -hmm. he used to be one of the best corners in the league lockdown corners in the league now he's now he's abysmal, and he, we saw him give up that huge touchdown to Diggs, and has had many bad moments. And Chandler Jones, I don't, I don't recall him being. I don't know if he's. I think he's injured right now. I haven't seen him. Yeah, he's done for I mean, the with, season. I, oh, okay, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. I think he so, tore his pack a few weeks ago. Okay, yeah, and he's one of the best player defensive players in the league. So without him, I think it hurts their defense a lot. So I have, I have questions more on that side for the Cardinals, and 
they've just they've been an anomaly honestly looking at their schedule blew out washington blew out cowboys blew out jets so they beat up on you know bad teams but then they lost to the lions they lost to the panthers but then you beat the seahawks in ot you beat the bills which on basically ot uh hail mary i i guess maybe they are they are such an anomaly here but i i like them as a team and you watch them you're always like no they're they're looks like a really good team in terms of Entertainment wise, them along with the Seahawks are are two of the most entertaining teams or most fun teams to watch. And we'll have them again on uh, this Thursday. Thursday night football. Yeah. Yeah. You oh, yeah. complain about it. This should be a fun game. Um, you know, it, just real quickly while we're talking about Arizona being entertaining, uh, there's an alternate universe that exists where a Kyler Murray highlight is him making a, a nice diving catch in center field for the Midland Rockhounds <laughs> right now. Which like, uh, you know, thank thank God he decided to go. To oh, the remember NFL. when we were debating yeah. if? Remember when we were debating if he should play football or baseball? I don't know if oh, it was my... much of a debate. I think we all said I mean, he should go. I, to yeah, I remember. I remember thinking uh, maybe you should go baseball given the, the it's safer the risk. Yeah, yeah the safety. Yeah. Oh my but God, I, not safe. It's not safe money though. And I remember saying maybe you should, no, I want to see him do both. No, just. Stick with football. Yeah. Um, I, I was high on the Cardinals coming into the season. Uh, I do think to an extent they've even exceeded my expectations, but I don't really look at them or really any of the teams in the NFC West as the top team. I think for a while I really like Seattle, but at the same time it's like their defense has been so bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. And when I, I Russell Wilson isn't playing like an MVP like he has in the past couple of weeks, and we see them being very susceptible to, to losing. Yeah, I, I would have said Seattle, but I've also said many times that outside of – Wilson, uh, Wilson, Lockett, and Metcalf. I I worry about the rest of the team because it's you can make a case it's really not that good. And uh, yeah, in the last two weeks, Russell Wilson has been a turnover machine. He has seven turnovers, including I think four interceptions. And he he had this whole I don't know if you guys saw, but he had this horrible interception where he had a wide open field. Uh, he could have rushed into the end zone, but he decides to throw it and to Disley in the corner, and it gets picked off. It was. One of the worst throws I've ever seen, Wilson. Yeah, he had some uh, very, very questionable turnovers against the Rams. For that reason, I'm not considering them right now as the best team. If you know Jamal Adams getting healthy and stuff, like you know Carlos Dunlap arriving, if that helps their defense out, then we can kind of talk about them. But for now, I think the big question is I'm just winning the NFC West. For me, so coming into the season, I love the Saints just because I, I, I coming into the season, I had no idea who the best team was. And I was like, all right, the Saints have been doing this for so long. They have to win this year. This is going to be Drew Brees' last season. And I still think that they have a really good shot, even if Jameis Winston has to play a few games. We saw last year Teddy Bridgewater went 5-0 and quarterbacking the Saints. So I don't think that's a reason to write them off. Uh, you know, Obviously, if Jameis is the same guy he was in Tampa where he's turning the ball over, and you know, even if he's thrown for 300 yards, he's still finding ways to kill that team and they lose. That's not going to be great for them. I still think that New Orleans is uh, in a very good path to the one seed. But coming into the year, I doubted the Packers. And it took me only a couple of weeks before I was fully on their bandwagon. And I know they lost to the Vikings. And, you know, they got blown out by the Bucs. But they've won two in a row games. Game where they played really well against the Niners. Game not so well against the Jaguars. But I still feel like this team just... With Aaron Rodgers, the way he's been playing throughout this season, uh, I, I really like their chances. I think that their defense has been good enough. It's certainly not the best in the NFC, but it's far from the worst. And uh, to me, 
they're, they're a team that just looking at their schedule, I kind of said this a while back, it doesn't really feel like they have a whole lot of games that you're like, okay, they're going to lose this one. They play at Indianapolis this week. That's probably the toughest. If they survive that, they get two more games against the Bears. They play the Eagles at home. They play the Lions, and they play the Panthers, and then they play the Tennessee in Week 16. That one's at home. Lambeau Field, as of now, it's a Sunday night game. I would like Green Bay in that one. So I feel like the Packers certainly uh, – have the opportunity to you know keep winning here and uh, to me they would be my my top team right now but I could absolutely say something totally different in a week or two and I feel like that's going to happen because that's what it's been like with the NFC all season I mean with the Packers they almost lost to the Jags I definitely have concerns about that and then I still want to see more out of their offense outside of Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones I we but we did see Valdez Scanling have a good game and then I, I'd imagine Al Lazard will come back. Yeah, he was just uh, activated soon. off injured reserve, so I think he's going to play this week. So yeah, so I want to, I still want to see a little bit more out of their offense outside of their core guys, and then defensively, I want to see them play, play well versus good competition. Because I, I still, I still have that sentiment that it's outside of Rodgers and Adams and Jones, I, it, they're, they're due, they're due for a letdown again. So who's going to win the NFC West? You know, I know we talked about the Cardinals and the Seahawks and you know, whether or not they belong at the top. They're both six and three. The Rams are also six and three. Uh, you know, which of those teams do you feel like is kind of in the best shape to separate themselves from the pack? Now, I like the Cardinals better. I honestly, honestly, when Brian said the exciting factor, that might be it. Like they, they're really exciting to watch. So I see them like, oh, this is a good team, but. This, I mean, looking at their schedule, they really they do what I don't like, and that's win games by a coin flip. I've always been, you know, you need to win some dominating games. But uh, I actually look at the Rams. I mean, 168 points allowed through nine games. That's really, really impressive. Uh, looking at their schedule, I mean, they face the Bucks, which is very tough, host the Niners at Cardinals. I actually, I think I like the Rams here. They face the Cardinals twice. They face, which is a tough one. That honestly could decide the division if the Seahawks don't just, if Russell Wilson doesn't decide to be MVP again. But the Rams actually have a really good chance there too. That's that's a really tough division. I, I don't know where I would go. So. I mean, I don't, I don't either. I mean, I thought the Rams defense was overrated. I thought, I figured it was just Aaron Donald and, everyone else but they kind of showed in that Seahawks game that they're a lot they're a lot more legit than I realized I know and I know Russell Wilson stunk but heck hey they're they're a great offense so uh to for them to limit them to 16 points uh, is really impressive see I think that uh, Russell Wilson is going to turn things around uh, he has an opportunity in a big game at home against the Cardinals on Thursday night it's got to be quick you know having to play on a Thursday night like that but uh, I, I do think that the Seahawks are still the best team out of these three just because of him. I do think that the defense over time is going to improve enough. And when I look at Seattle's schedule, they play all three yeah. teams in the NFC West, but they're non-divisional games, Eagles, Giants, Jets, Washington. They should win all four of those. So if they take care of business, you know, even if it's dropping one of those two games, they play the Cardinals and Rams both at home. Even without fans, I think there's enough of an advantage having to fly all the way out to Seattle. I think that the Seahawks are in a good shape to be able to end up winning this division, but it might not be as comfortably as it looked it would be just a couple weeks ago. I was yeah. also going to say the exact same thing. I, I would 
if I had to pick between the three, I would lean Seattle. And yes, be, yes, their defense has not been good like lately or even this entire season. But I think with the addition of uh, Carlos Dunlap and getting Jamal Adams back is is only going to help them. And then, yeah, looking at their schedule, Jets, that's an easy win. Washington football team, that should be an easy win. And then they got, the like you said, the Giants. I, I know they've been playing a little bit better lately but I still think they should win that game. I I think Russell, yeah, I agree with you. I think Russell Wilson will eventually turn it around and uh, have people realize that he's the should be the frontrunner for the MVP. I actually had not looked at their schedule. There's, I don't see how they don't win the division, actually. I mean, you face the NFC West and the Jets and the Niners practice yeah, and, squad. And the Rams. It's week 17. They might be healthy by then. The, the Niners the, have like 14 players on IR. <laughs> Uh, the thing with, I, the I thing don't with know the, what their team will look at like in week six, 17. I can't imagine there anyone's going to want to play. They're just plagued by injuries. That I, I can't imagine you're going to be rushing yeah. guys back from injury <laughs> when you're three or I don't know what is their record. They're right four now? and six. They're I mean they they so have a tough enough like schedule. Five and ten. Probably yeah. Maybe six and nine, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that is Eagles, Giants, Washington, and Jets. Yeah, that that should be a recipe for success actually. Another thing with the Rams is I know they had an impressive win versus Seattle, but before that, all their wins were four wins versus the NFC East and then the Chicago mm-hmm. Bears, who I think are an overrated five-win team. Uh, so they haven't. Yeah, they've been impre- They've been good, but they haven't won against great competition all year outside of the Seattle game. Yeah, they've they've had some losses. I don't know losing to the Bills uh, when they they almost made a big comeback. I mean that that's a kind of game where like you're like okay yeah that's a reason to lose, but you know it would have been uh, an impressive win, uh, good for the resume. And losing it, you you lost. So another, I I will say though one thing to mention uh, for a positive thing for the Rams though is that they don't have to travel as much as they've had to this season where because they've had to travel to. I think New York uh, and Miami and uh, Philly. Philly and yeah, just they had to do so much yeah. traveling on the road they, this year. Honestly, they I don't, still do. they won't have they to do to, that as much in the second half of the season. Just at they Tampa. go to Tampa. Oh no, they host or and Tampa, Arizona and Seattle. I That's see. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Their schedule yeah. is much more favorable travel wise to end the right. season. So, all right. Um, so NFC West is probably the best division. I think you know. Do we all still agree with that? Yeah, I mean, the Niners, of course, are probably going to finish in last, but even without all the players that they had, they're still a, they're still a four-win team. They're the best fourth-place uh, team in the league. Yeah, so so <laughs> for them to be in last is, I still, they're, they're, I agree, they're the best last-place team. In, so in I guess, you know, from there, let's transition to uh, what I'm sure we all agree is the worst division in the league, and that is the <laughs> NFC East. And the Eagles had a chance to get to 500 four four and one I think they'd have won three in a row kind of put themselves in okay maybe they can kind of get some momentum and uh you know run away with this division and they go out and lose to the Giants in a game that it was 27 to 17 they they hung in there but they never had the lead in this one New York was able to jump out early and uh now I think there's a lot of questions about can the Eagles actually win this division a division where they're Opposing quarterbacks are Daniel Jones, Alex Smith, and uh, whoever Dallas trots out <laughs> on a week-to-week basis. This division, you're one win away from the playoffs. You're one loss away from a top-five pick. I mean, oh, it's so bad, but I, I don't even know. I don't know. Just flip a four-sided 
die if that's possible and uh <laughs> someone's gonna win i mean i don't even think washington's counted out i think the cowboys are i think they're out i don't see they just their roster's just too bad but washington i mean could win this division any of these with, teams are, could technically win this division so I, I think washington has their best quarterback on their roster finally coming out i mean it's hard to say that Dwayne Haskins or who do they have before Kyle, Kyle Allen. Allen? I mean, Alex Alex Smith was a really really good quarterback before getting hurt, and you saw Teddy Bridgewater come Teddy Bridgewater come off a of pretty similar you know almost career slash life ending injury, and be really good. I I don't think that you count Washington out, especially with how bad the Giants and Eagles really are. I mean, the Eagles might win it by a tie, but I don't even know. <laughs> I I honestly don't know who to pick either. I've been f- flip-flopping with the Cowboys and Eagles a lot. I was super high on the Cowboys this year, and I, I felt like it was for good reason, but once they lost Dak, it, it, that's when it was all over for them to, for in terms of Super Bowl chances. But uh, So because of that, I thought the Eagles, I, w- I would have changed my mind and picked the Eagles, uh, is, especially with uh, getting some injured guys back. Now, they don't have Zach Ertz back yet, but... Uh, They've gotten some players back on both sides of the ball, but they look so bad versus the Giants. And then looking at their schedule, they got the Browns, Seahawks, Packers, Eagles, and Cardinals in the next five games. They could legitimately lose all five of those games. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've I have I don't even know who to pick. I <laughs> given given that schedule, and I thought the Eagles were going to trend upward, but they're not. And uh, the Cowboys. They have a more favorable schedule, but they're playing with a with third or fourth string quarterback right now, and uh, I, I'm I'm kind of lost on who to pick. To be honest, the Giants look like they're showing a little bit of effort in the last couple of games, but I don't, I don't talent wise, I don't think they're as good as Dallas or Philly uh, either. And I I really don't know who to pick. I want to hear more of your thoughts. So Alex Smith has played well the past two weeks against the Giants and the Lions. Both of them are losses. Washington needs to win those kind of games. Their next two, Bengals, Cowboys, those are certainly winnable games. If they win those two, I think that puts them in really solid position. Like you said, the Eagles have a really tough schedule coming up. Dallas has so many issues, I think, way beyond the quarterback position. Yeah. Their offensive line has not been what we're used to in recent oh, years. Yeah, the is, defense is he- has been terrible, so... Yeah, Ezekiel Elliott, ever since Dak was gone, and it's not just because Dak's gone, but it's also because of their offensive line. But the, but the combination of both of those has really uh, forced Zeke to have as bad of <laughs> bad play as he's had in the past few weeks. Yeah, and uh, you know, for the Giants, they are, have won two in a row in the division, but I'd like to see them start to pull out some of these games outside of the division. I think their schedule is tough enough. I mean, they play the Bengals on the road coming off a bye, but then Seahawks, Cardinals, Browns, Ravens in their next four. To me, I think that the Eagles are going to go like 5-10-1 and one and win this division, legitimately. <laughs> like that, I, I didn't think that was possible a few weeks ago. I... I, I just I can't believe how bad this team has been. Like remember a few years ago, so I know Brian remembers this when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and everyone was making fun of um, the takes from a year before where they said Doug Peterson is like the worst coaching hire. He's terrible. Like he has no idea what he's doing, and is like, ha! Look at these losers who said Peterson sucks. He's the best hire of any of these teams. I know that the Eagles won the like they made the playoffs the past two years. I think they're gonna get in again, but he is 
not done this team any favors. Carson Wentz has not done this team any favors. Like I, I keep getting less and less high on him as uh, the season progresses. This Eagles team is like, they, they should have the most talent of any of these teams. They probably do, but they just cannot put everything together. And I, I think that <laughs> they're going to end up hosting a playoff game in the end, but this team, uh, you know, they should be so much better than they are. And it's, it's just uh, really sad to see because this is a kind of year where an Eagles team, you know, even when they're not that great, should be able to separate from the pack. And they, I, I just don't have confidence in their ability to do so. I don't have the confidence in any of these teams to do anything other than have a high pick. I think they all all are contending for a top three or four pick. They don't even look like they're competing to make the playoffs. They're not even... But the Cowboys, I mean, you said, yes, Dak was out. They weren't winning with Dak. Yeah, even I'll, I'll admit, even when Dak was there, their they, defense was abysmal. They were it's one horrible. Of the worst, mm-hmm. Historically, worst defense. They don't force turnovers. They don't, they don't get third down stops. They don't get sacks. They really don't. Actually, I think, no, they... The sacks thing, they might actually do pretty well with that because I remember Alden Smith was doing really well. Demarcus Lawrence is having an okay year. But you just, it's 2020. Why would you go get all of those weapons on offense? Every team is scoring. You don't, you need a defense. You need to stop these other super teams. Why, just going back to the CD Lamb pick, I, I was so upset when they did that and now it's all coming true. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I I think that a lot of people really bought into that offense and didn't realize just like all the issues they would have on defense. And, uh, you know, it is a a bit of a train wreck the way that their season has gone. And, you know, it's hard to say that any of the other teams have had that much better of a season. So before we move on, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, Do you think that the winner of the NFC should not be a playoff team this season? Absolutely. Brian, I mean, if you, it, there's value in winning the division, but uh, this might be as bad as it gets because we've seen seven and nine a division winner make the playoffs, but five, ten, and one. We've <laughs> seen yeah, two in the past ten years. We've seen two seven team seven win teams make the playoffs: the seven and nine Seahawks in 2010, seven eight and one Panthers in 2014. Both of those teams actually won a playoff game in the first round. <laughs> that, that's one of always been one of my arguments for. Uh, you know, teams making the playoffs regardless, uh, even if they have a losing record. This year, the team, you know, that ends up winning this division, I don't think that the Eagles are going to get the 7-8-1. and one. You know, if they can put together some wins against their tough schedule, then they'll look much more impressive. That being said, even if they find themselves with only, you know, five or six wins this year, who outside of the current playoff field is like, you're like, oh, they're being robbed of a playoff spot. The Bears? You think that the Bears should be in the playoffs over the Eagles, the Vikings, the Falcons? I mean, the 49ers. Do you want to see the 49ers practice squad over the Eagles? Like, I, I it just like with seven teams making the postseason, it's not like you're going to have a 10 and six Cardinals team get left out for a six and 10 Giants team. So uh, to me, I, I'm totally OK with this team making the playoffs and you know, how awesome would it be? I know, Brian, block your ears. How awesome would it be if Tom Brady lost in the wild card round to the the Giants? <laughs> I mean, I would hate it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about that. I think that is impossible. But yeah. I mean, the Giants <laughs> almost beat I the Bucks, the though. Yeah. I mean, that's you're talking with a seven 
team format. I mean, if you just cut back to six and get rid of the yeah. NFC East, just yeah. kick them out of the union. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That is, yeah, I think it's it's gonna make it look dumb. It, it's gonna make look the playoff. Um, what do you call it? Like the playoff format. F- format. Yeah. It just it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen all the time. Uh, but no, if rarely. It, if, it kept, if it kept happening, maybe the NFL would have to look into it. But for now, just whoever wins, whether if it's a five, six, or oh. seven win team, whatever, just, <laughs> just deal with it. Okay, so I guess uh, you know before we wrap things up, uh, just looking at the NFC. It it does kind of feel like the seven teams, you know, six plus whoever ends up winning the NFC East are going to be the final teams we see in the uh, NFL playoffs. But of the teams right outside the field, who do you think has the best chance of maybe stealing a postseason berth? I definitely go with the Vikings uh, because the last three games, they've they've won their last three. Uh, they've had a couple convincing wins versus and all in their division versus the Packers, Lions, and Bears last night. And then looking uh, looking at their upcoming schedule, they got the Cowboys, uh, who we've just went on and on about how much they've sucked. And the Panthers could be without uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey. Both of them are hurt right now. They got the Jags, and the Bucks are a tough tough matchups. So maybe. maybe might lose that one and the Saints as well, but outside of those two games, they've they could easily win uh, five of their last seven games. And uh, we saw how last year how good they can be when they reach their potential. They had that great win on the on the road versus the Saints. And I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl caliber team or anything, but I I think they're heading in the right direction. I they got favorable favorable schedule and. Uh, yeah, I, I lean, out of all the teams in the, out of the playoff picture right now in the NFC, I definitely lean with uh, the Vikings possibly stealing a, a playoff spot. I actually might pick the Lions. Uh, same division. Because I, I, mean, I wanted to go Falcons because I think the Falcons should have like, what, two or three more wins than they do right now. They At just least, keep yeah. blowing games. <laughs> yeah. But they, I mean, they face the Saints twice, the Bucks twice, the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Ravers. That's brutal. They just, I, I think they're kind of out of the hunt there. Yeah, if, but the, if, if, if the Falcons didn't blow the onside kick, and then if, and if Todd Gurley didn't fall into the end zone... That, that time versus yeah. the Lions, they could they could have a couple more wins. Right <laughs> They've now. had a couple like I don't know who comes up with the analytics of it, but they come up with like a ninety five percent chance of winning. Like they've had I think three losses where they were over a ninety percent chance 98%, of winning. Ninety eight percent, I'm pretty 98% sure. Ninety eight percent in like the fourth quarter, right? Yeah. You got you guys know how in late in the games they'll show win probability at the bottom yeah. of the screen. Do you think they lower it a couple more points with the Falcons <laughs> whenever and they're in that situation? They should, honestly, I wonder if the bookies take it into account too <laughs> yeah the uh you know humans are still smarter than computers because you know we we know that the falcons don't really yeah. have a 98 percent chance of winning a game but with the lions so you're going into carolina i mean that's a very winnable game hosting the texans the texans can lose to anybody going into the bears the bears can th- Score zero points against anybody, honestly. Like they, <laughs> they are, their offense is so bad. Who went into a, like a war room and was like, "We need to put Corderell Patterson at running back and give him fifteen carries a game." How does that person have a job? Matt it might Nagy. be Matt Nagy. Yeah. It might be Matt Nagy. Um, who else? Who then, else can they go to besides Allen Robinson, though? 
Al- and then especially oh. if David Montgomery is hurt. I mean, not that he's oh, Cordero Patterson effective. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, no, the Bears, the Bears' offense is a train wreck. Oh, right? Their offensive no line backs, is horrible. I mean, yeah. Look at these guys at the Seahawks. They're at least putting, you know, a DJ Dallas. Like, he has at least potential. Why are you putting out a 29-year-old <laughs> special teamer at running back? Where's the upside in that? I don't get it. But anyway, hosting or at, at Panthers, hosting Texans, at Bears, hosting Packers is obviously a that's a really tough game. I mean, the Packers have been really good. We talked about that at Titans. That's winnable to me. I don't think the Titans are a dominant team. They host the Buccaneers. That's way more winnable now than it looked coming in. And then they host the Vikings. I think they have a genuine chance of uh, sneaking into the playoffs there. I mean, the Vikings and Lions face each other in week 17. So I I guess. Oh, true. That That could could decide decide which of us is right. I mean, the the Vikings won what? 34, 20 last time they played. Yeah, but, but, Staff- but yeah, to Stafford that game, was Staff- out, was Stafford was out he of played, practice but... the entire time because he was on the COVID list. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so I guess you, know, you did mention the Falcons. Like, they feel like a team that you would want to go with just by the mm-hmm. fact that last year they wound up winning, what, like six of their last eight games after a horrendous start, and they've won three out of four since Raheem Morris took over for Dan Quinn. But like you said, their schedule is brutal down the stretch, so it's tough to think that they can string together the wins it would take to make the postseason. But realistically, I do think that all three NFC North teams have a way to get to 9-7 and seven, uh, between Minnesota, Detroit, and Chicago just based on how favorable their schedules are. It's going to take beating each other. Uh, you know, Minnesota has to play at Tampa at New Orleans. I know the Bears have to play the Packers twice. And Cam, like I said, the Lions do have a, a tough schedule with games against Tampa, Tennessee, uh, among others. So uh, it's going to be difficult for any of these teams. But I think the team that I would say is the likeliest to get to 9-7, and seven, I'm going to agree with Brian and say the Minnesota Vikings, just because they've already won three in a row. Cowboys, Panthers, Jaguars all at home feels like they should win all three of those. If that's the case, yeah, they have to play at Tampa, but they'd be going into that on a six-game winning streak, really riding high. I think that they have the best chance of kind of putting together the wins they would need to overcome one of those teams in the NFC West. And all it would take if one of these teams finishes 9-7 and seven is for one of the teams in the NFC West to lose four of their last seven. Uh, when they all face each other so many times, I don't think that's totally unrealistic. I know they all have favorable schedules of their own, um, but I, I think you know I'm going to go with Minnesota just because I'm going to ride the hot hand. If the Bears won Monday Night Football, I would have picked them. And <laughs> if Tyler Bray is going to be their quarterback for the foreseeable future with Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky out, I don't see them having really too much of a chance. Um, but you know, I, I'm not going to totally rule out any of those teams. I, I do think it's going to be a stretch for any of them, though. Yeah, I, I, their defense has improved lately and then I, I i like what i've seen from justin jefferson and then and then of course dalvin cook has been the best running back in the, in the past month or so yeah oh dalvin cook has been so good this year so yeah the, especially the vikings coming back from biggest, injury vikings biggest advantage is easily that they have dalvin cook i mean he he's what two 200 yard games i mean last i think last night he was pretty bad he, he, i mean by his standards he still almost had 100 yards oh did he i and he started out like 13 yeah i think he finished I, with I 95 oh he did okay yeah but he has been just on another world uh the last few weeks prior to that and yeah he's just he's really really hard to contain 
All right, so that will wrap things up for our uh, NFL segment here. Uh, Cam, thank you for joining us. Do you have any closing thoughts, parting words you want to throw out there? Maybe maybe talk about you know what what it'll take for the Texans to turn things around. The Texans need to go back in time and not trade away their first round pick in a season where actually first and second when they're two and seven. How do you turn this team around? Oh, I have no idea. You have no draft picks. You have no money. You have money sunk into bad players and players that are way too old to be on a two and seven team. You're there. I have no idea. I don't know. They have a lot going if on. I, if I were the Texans, I would rehire Bill O'Brien. That way I could fire him again for <laughs> that DeAndre Hopkins trade, especially after what we saw <laughs> in that Bills game where catches that ball over three Bills defenders and just I think you, you know how, you've only been in the league for 20 was. years just leave and come back just start over from scratch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're really not yeah. losing a lot of time get so, your draft so, picks back so just, basically we're saying the the way to fix the Texans is get a, build a time machine or get a DeLorean yeah. and yeah uh, try to and then, and then yeah, not make I, the same mistakes genuinely I don't know I mean what is next year you're probably I mean maybe you get better you're just relying on Deshaun Watson you somehow get some defense I don't know you have to what are you just gonna build from within you need your guys to play better that's the only (laughs) option I don't know I don't know I don't have any words of wisdom you just just play better because you can't draft you can't sign so Hope for the best. Change schemes and hope something works. <laughs> I would love. I would love to see Cam say that right to the Texans players in, in the war I mean, room. Like, how about, um, guys? Uh, how about play better? Yeah, I think. I think we, if saying, we can do that, <laughs> it's it's not even their fault. They just they really they have no. There's nothing. They have nothing. They have Deshaun no Watson and fifty two. They have Deshaun Watson. <laughs> they have some decent receivers. They have Tunsil's good. I like David Johnson. I think they have some decent young talent. I love Justin Reed. I just got his jersey. But there's just so many holes, and you don't have the picks to fill them, and you don't have the salary to sign players. So I don't know. That uh, that new head coach is uh, definitely going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah. I. They should try to get a general manager. I'm not sure yeah, that they have true. one. Yeah. <laughs> that would be maybe sign some, like hire some people. Uh I don't know. Sell the team. (laughs) Just sell the team. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's definitely going to start from the top. Uh, Texans have uh, been disappointing this year for sure, and it it seems like they have a a long path to to getting back to where we had been used to seeing them. The 6-3 and Dolphins, who I predicted to go, I believe, 11-5 and earlier, have the Texans' first and second round pick, so (laughs) they're going to get better. I, I honestly, I really like the Dolphins. I like the story there, so... There you go. Yeah. Then <laughs> silver lining. Team. Silver lining, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Cam. Yep, thanks for having me. All right. So that was our conversation with my brother Cam talking NFL, just going over the landscape of the season. And uh <laughs> we'll we'll see where, where things go from there. We certainly have a lot of thoughts on uh where things are through nine or 10 games, but it's a long season and Brian will definitely be talking more just kind of weekly updates moving forward with the two of us. So 
Uh, just, you know, before we uh, move on to our top five, we just have a few other segments we want to, or, you know, topics we want to get to. So the Masters, Dustin Johnson's huge win. First ever golfer to shoot 20 under at Augusta National. And I don't even know if either of us really brought up his name, despite him being the world number one. I Yeah, I I hate that I didn't at least bring him up. I, I don't regret not saying, not picking him to win, even though he was... Uh, the second favorite behind Bryson, but I should have at least brought him up because he's this season. Uh, since the the break from coming back from the break, he's I think he's been the best golfer. I uh, maybe maybe Bryson, uh, but Bryson can definitely be a little bit more boomer bust. I mean, we saw that uh with his triple bogey in round two and almost missing the cut. Probably should have missed the cut, but Dustin Johnson, I uh, very deserving winner and. Yes, maybe the score wouldn't have been as good if there were fans and it, were, it took place in April, uh, but either way, he, he deserved to win. And uh, I'm pretty I'm 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 not I'm not I'm not going to say that I was the biggest Dustin Johnson fan before this, but seeing him the way he reacted, uh, getting the green jacket, and when he was being interviewed by uh, Amanda Balionis on CBS, and seeing all the tears come out, and uh, just seeing. Dustin's true side where people are he's labeled as this guy that doesn't really care uh about or very nonchalant about his game but uh and I'll admit I th- I kind of thought of him as that too but he no it he definitely puts in the work and the results show it and he's absolutely the number one golfer and on tour and he again absolutely deserved to win the Masters and pretty happy for him especially seeing how he, he reacted yeah he was very emotional after that huge win that was only a second ever major right first ever yeah it's his second major his first his first first masters course but his first major came back in 2016 at the u.s open and he won convincingly there but diff- a different score though he finished four under at par, yeah. four or five under par which for the u.s open uh, is much like a tougher a record which is the u.s open yeah which is a good score yeah. <laughs> um yeah the pride of columbia south carolina i mean i it was an awesome performance from dustin johnson this weekend uh you know he, he ran away with the tournament in the end and there were a lot of guys that were fighting at the top of the leaderboard going into saturday and it felt like it was basically over going into sunday just with how well he played that day uh, you know, let's talk a little about your guy though, Bryson DeChambeau. So he, uh, he was the favorite. You, you picked him to win. He said that, uh, it was a par 67 for him. I did <laughs> and, see uh, that. Yeah. How, uh, you know, how, how did he end up doing? I, I mean, officially he shot a minus two, I think unofficially though, based on his own, his own par 67, he shot like a, a plus 15 or something like that. It was, uh, you know, just, it, I mean, I don't know if you can necessarily say that it's embarrassing. Like, it, it's a difficult course you know it's 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 something that uh you can't necessarily expect someone to just kill the course but when there's all this talk about that's what Bryson DeChambeau is going to do and he's saying it himself and to barely even make the cut uh, I think that that's a, a huge uh disappointment and letdown for him yeah it, it, no I agree it, it's definitely disappointing and uh yeah for him to say that it's a par 67 to him uh he's, he's certainly getting a little ahead of himself I still stand by that I'm a fan of the guy and 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 I know I know plenty of people hate him and honestly I agree or or I rightfully so I can see why people hate him and but I, I still stand by that I I think he's great for the game and uh he he's devoted his life to be the best possible golfer he can be and uh and I I 
I, I definitely have respect for that. And, uh, but yeah, not, not a great showing, uh, in the masters. He, he hasn't had great course history at Augusta. Uh, so, uh, so still a little bit more work to do there, but outside of there, he's, he's proven he can play, uh, on other courses. Yeah. He's young. It wouldn't be surprising to see him learn from this and, uh, you know, pull out more wins of course he did win the u.s open so yeah, it's not like he uh has a history of being yeah the only guy the who finished stage. the only guy who finished under par at Wingfoot, and he finished six under par, yeah no so. he killed that course so still impressive yeah it would not be shocking to see him uh win a green jacket you know sooner than later uh so i mean lastly the other big name of course tiger woods he was doing really strong those first couple days uh didn't play as well on saturday and then sunday a brutal 76 including a career worst 10 on the 12th hole hitting the water three times uh definitely the opposite of tiger on sunday at augusta from last year yeah finished tied for 38 which is where i figured he'd finish around but like you said first day four under par at the top of the leaderboard it kind of made me realize that no matter how poor you're playing, uh, some of these guys are just so comfortable at a, for whatever reason at Augusta National that they can just completely turn around their game and just like that. And uh, so that's one thing. There, I mean, I did mention that before the Masters tournament that uh, the course knowledge and course history is very vital uh, at Augusta. Yeah, and we know that that Tiger has had plenty of success there, even before last year. Um, you know, certainly disappointing for Tiger fans to see him uh, falter the way he did. Uh, you do kind of start to wonder, okay, you know, to what extent was was last uh, last year's Masters win a fluke, and you know that that was his one one major that he'll win after two thousand eight. I don't think it, I don't think it was a fluke, but I, I I don't know if he can win win again, but I I think he can. Uh, if he can prove his play a little bit more, I think I think he can still contend uh, year in and year out until he starts to really decline. Yeah, so let's uh, let's move on. So NCAA announcing that the men's college basketball tournament will be held in a bubble in Indianapolis. Uh, the entire tournament. Well, the plan is Indianapolis. It's going to be at one site. Indianapolis was scheduled to host the Final Four. It's also the headquarters of the NCAA, so it would be pretty shocking if it if it doesn't happen at this point. So I guess what are your thoughts on this decision? Uh, it's smart because we saw the NBA have a very f- successful uh, season and playoffs uh, in the bubble, and no one got COVID, and... I think it's smart for them to do the same, and I missed the tournament. I'm I'm not a, the biggest college basketball fan on earth by any means, but I absolutely love the tournament like many other people do, and I, I it would be it'd be sad for to miss out on, on out on that again. So, uh, for them to safely safely do it and make sure it does happen this time, uh, I think it's smart for them to have a bubble. I guess my only question is, uh, it, so in the bubble in Florida and in in, in in Orlando and for the NBA, there were multiple courts. Uh, is it going to be like that uh, in, in, in Indianapolis? I'd imagine are there multi- more than one court, yeah. or is yeah, it I, all gonna- I I think they'd still have to figure out the logistics. It makes sense why you'd want to plan this ahead of time because not only do you have to make sure that the sites don't go ahead and plan for it, you need to make sure Indianapolis is ready for it. And uh, they have Lucas Oil Stadium, home of the Colts. I was going to say Lucas Oil Stadium would be the obvious, co- uh, not like course, the main uh, court, basketball yeah. court, but. 
But what, Baker's life, what would the other Baker's courts Life be? Fieldhouse with a Pacers play. You okay. also have uh, Butler, IUPUI, or two Division One programams. Uh, you can play at uh, you know Hinky, Hinkle Fieldhouse, I think is Butler. I have no idea what IUPUI's mm-hmm. arena is. But the, but they, they're they have but options. they're minutes away yeah, from they're from all that, in Indianapolis. I don't know to what extent they would have to branch out of the city. I don't know if it would be a thing where it'd just be like a super condensed tournament because normally it's three weekends. You play Thursday to Sunday, Thursday to Sunday, and then Saturday Monday. I don't know if they would have all that time off. They're going to expect to keep some of these student athletes in a bubble in Indianapolis for three weeks. Uh, it feels like they would really have to make things go by shorter uh, in order to be able to get away with this. They, I guess, would maybe have the luxury of this being considered spring break, assuming that colleges, even if they're remote um, or you know on campus and trying to do what they can to slow the spread of COVID, decide to have a spring break. But I, I think it's, it's a smart idea for the NCAA to go with Indianapolis. It seems like there's a lot of options there. I've heard it's a really great city for hosting events like this because there's so much all in like the downtown area where they have all these arenas and stadiums and plenty of hotel space and uh, ways to be able to make this work. It seems like the perfect city when you're going to have 68 teams. And Yeah, that that's, that's my biggest question is that so for the NBA, there were 24 teams 22. and then or 22 mm-hmm. teams, okay. And then the NHL, they had two bubbles they just went straight each, to so. Yeah, tw- and t- yeah, exactly, two bubbles and I, I just wonder how it works with one location 64 68 mm-hmm. teams if you include the the playing games. Uh how how all the logistics works, I guess is I just yeah. had more qu- questions yeah, about I, it. Yeah, I think it it's uh you know that that's something for the NCAA and Mark Emmert to figure out, but it, it seems like the the option is there and they have four months time to to figure that out. Now it's just a question of getting to that point, making sure that the season goes by smoothly, that they do what they can to uh you know, keep these these players in positions where they're not all being exposed to the virus. And uh yeah, you know, I, college football is an issue, so we'll see what basketball does. Yeah, nothing. Don't do what baseball did and let. So they they let fans into the, into the bubble and or into the on a location for the World Series. I just keep it empty stadiums. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll see even what though, things are like depressing. in March. Um, but I I, right, I would not be surprised at all too. if they they do have empty arenas. Um, still at that point. So, all right, and then uh, you know, lastly, talking college sports uh big news in the college football world my south carolina gamecocks parted ways with head coach will muschamp so brian you you familiar with muschamp to a degree yeah yeah a little yep uh he was he uh correct me if i'm wrong i could be totally wrong was he did he coach florida yes he coached florida yep that's what i thought yep he was the head coach at florida for a few years uh was not very successful there and wound up being the dc for auburn before the gamecocks hired him uh Questionable hire at the time by a lot of people. He's someone who's a great recruiter, but he was proven to not be a great coach at Florida. And while he had limited success early on at South Carolina, uh, he was four and eight last year and two and five to start the season before the the Gamecocks decided to part ways with him. I'm all in favor of this from a coaching perspective. I know he's a strong recruiter, but when you have a ton of talent and you're not winning games, what's the point? So. You know, I, I, I'm I'm excited to see where things go, but I think I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about that. So I think in terms of some of the names that are being discussed, you and I were kind of throwing out some earlier. Uh, I think there there are a few noteworthy ones just based on connections to South Carolina and the SEC. 
Tony Elliott, offensive coordinator from Clemson. Uh, you know, if, if he's uh, willing to switch sides in that big rivalry, I think it would be interesting for him to take over as the team's head coach. Uh, he's, Clemson's obviously had a ton of success on the offensive side of the ball in recent years, so it would be um, it, it would be cool to see what he can bring to this school. Billy Napier is another guy, uh, head coach at Louisiana Lafayette, who's being rumored there. He's had a ton of success uh, in recent years for that Sunbelt team, and I know he has connections to South Carolina with uh, via Furman. So uh, it, it would definitely make sense from that perspective. And another name, which I think is kind of fun because I – immediately was like i have no idea who this guy is but coastal carolina is undefeated so their head coach has to be a good option right that's uh you know in the state paul feinbaum was talking about potential replacements he was naming actual people and he's just like the coastal carolina coach never throw out his name uh but his name's jamie chadwell and uh someone like texted him it was like some like reporter you know inside or whatever it's like hey what are your thoughts on the south carolina job opening up he says yeah sorry i can't talk about this now more important things my um is i think his wife like her, her like tire was deflated or some kind of car troubles that uh he had to attend to and it's like yeah you know i'll, I'll deal with this later but and i'm sure that he's uh he's all interested in this south carolina job even though coastal is a top 15 team in the country undefeated and Gamecocks are two and five this year. That's certainly a big opportunity. But the one name that I do really want to throw out, and I would say the guy that I would love to see the Gamecocks hire, I know it would be controversial. That's Hugh Freeze, and I know you know who Hugh Freeze is. Yeah, he, he's the <laughs> Hugh Freeze is the guy who had the prostitution <laughs> prostitution issues at Ole Miss. And, yeah. Uh, you can tell me more about his coaching uh, experience and schemes at Ole Miss. Uh, he beat he Saban in has... Alabama twice. Mm-hmm. So. And so he certainly has trouble off off the field, but we saw with um, why my, uh, Bobby Petrino uh, have his issues when he was at uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. And, and, but he got a second chance at Louisville. So I... I I think people deserve second chances. So if he's that good of a coach, then I think, then why not have Hugh Freeze uh, join the South Carolina uh, coaching staff? He led Liberty to their first ever bowl game last season, and they're undefeated right now. So it's it's proven that he can be successful on the field. And uh, I know that there are plenty of coaches that have their their uh, recruitment scandals. I'd like to think he wouldn't do the exact same thing twice. But if he leads the Gamecocks to wins, I, I would think that it would be absolutely worth taking the chance on him. So um, I, I'm all aboard that Hugh Freeze to South Carolina hype train, and you know we'll, we'll see what happens. I feel like that's the kind of deal that he would he would uh, take. You know, going back to the SEC, breaking out of his his deal with Liberty. So all right, um, with that, let's wrap things up with our top five, and we had Cam Novotny as a guest, my brother. And uh, I know, Brian, one of your favorite top fives we've done in the past is celebrities with the first name, whatever. So in honor of having Cam as our guest, we're going to count down our favorite celebrities named Cameron in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So, Brian, I went first last week, so I'll let you go first this week. All right, so for my number five choice for Cam's, I went with Cam Smith, and you're wondering who the heck is Cam Smith. Cam Smith uh, 
professional golfer on the PGA Tour. He he didn't finish first in the Masters, but he finished second at 15 under par. And he's actually the only golfer ever in PGA Tour history to record uh, under 70 all four rounds at a Masters. Uh, of all people, not even Tiger Woods, not even Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy. It was Cameron Smith, of all people. And if it weren't for Dustin Johnson, there's a 50-50 chance that he could have had a green jacket because he tied for second with uh, Sung J.M. And so I think he deserves a shout-out and uh, as a camp, top five cam. And I think he's got a bright future, uh, especially at this course, because it's not, not his first, the first time he's finished top five at Augusta. He finished top five uh, a couple years ago as well. So uh, he's my number five choice, and I think he deserves the shout-out. Did you know who he was before this weekend? Yes, I do. Okay. So as someone that follows the PJ Tour religiously, I, I did know who he was. Yes. Would he have been in your top five cams if he didn't finish second at the Masters? Honestly, no. <laughs> I <laughs> There's another guy on tour named Cameron Champ who I, yeah. I'm a bigger fan of because he can hit the ball far, literally farther than anyone, even oh, wow. arguably farther than Bryson, maybe. like He can compete with him and other guys on tour as the longest driver on tour. So I, I'd probably say I'm a bigger fan of a different Cameron uh, in the PJ tour, but uh, I just think for someone that's not as known uh, as other golfers, of course, for him to finish second is at 15 under is really impressive. So, yeah. So he probably, he would not be on my list if, if he didn't finish second, but I thought it was a good showing. Okay. Yeah. No, that's reasonable. Um, you know, that's why he's talk about five on the list now, but yeah, I think that's a good spot for number five. And I mean, my number five is, uh, you know, I'm number five on my list for kind of similar reasons. And that is, uh, Cameron Jabril Thomas, who, uh, you probably better know as the rapper Wiz Khalifa. And honestly, I'm not a huge fan of Wiz Khalifa. Not in the sense, like, I don't like him. I, I do enjoy a lot of his songs. Of course, black and yellow is a big one. And that's, uh, for me, that's kind of special because it's about his hometown of Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, all the team's colors with the Pirates, Penguins, and Steelers. Uh, he did perform the song before the 2010 AFC Championship game win over the Jets. And it was uh, the team's, like, hype song during the uh, Super Bowl 45 promos against the Packers. So uh, that's certainly a, a big reason for me to love that song. But in addition to that, something I'm not even sure if you're aware of this, uh, you probably are. But uh, when I my last year playing City League basketball, I broke my wrist in the offseason. And, uh, and because it was early in the season, I only missed the first, I think, four games of the season. Uh, but you know, at that point I was like, well, I can't play. What else am I going to do? So I decided to write a rap song about, uh, my, my team and our colors were red and yellow. So instead of black and yellow, I wrote my own version of red and yellow. And yes, it's available on YouTube. Uh, our name is a cult, so that could potentially help you find it if you're interested. And I know that's something that a lot of people enjoy and <laughs> probably not because they think it's a great song. It's just funny that I wrote a rap, but, uh, you know, for that, for that reason, it's another, another nice connection for, uh, for Wiz. So he's my number five. I did see this when I was looking up cams or famous cams and it showed, I see Wiz Khalifa. Why is, <laughs> why is he here? And then it's like, oh, Cameron Jabril. Uh, I assume Tomaz it's Thomas. Tom- it's a Z. Thomas. Okay. I don't know. All right, um, <laughs> but, but no, I'm 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 a I don't want to say I'm a huge Wiz Khalifa fan, but I, I like some of his songs. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So yeah, uh, so I think that's a good choice. 
so my, my number four, I went with Cameron Diaz, and I think everyone knows who Cameron Diaz is. She's a super famous actress who has been in uh, plenty of movies. Uh, for In terms of my favorite ones, I would probably go with... I, I don't want to say this is a good movie by any means, but it's uh, Charlie's Angels. She was very, uh, she was very good in that. Obviously, great looking, and it was pretty, pretty good movie, action movie, kind of, kind of, kind of stupid, but I, I enjoy the occasional stupid movie. And she's also Fiona in Shrek, which I watched the other day. And I, I, I remember bring long time ago, uh, a year or two ago, when we were doing. Uh, a top five and you guys put Shrek uh, two. Yeah. <laughs> and I forgot what it was top five it was. Top five second things, I think. Right. Yeah. And I, I disagree with you guys wholeheartedly that I think Shrek one is a lot better than Shrek two, but regardless, uh, it was a good movie and uh, she's a great actress and very good looking, like I said. So yeah, Cameron Diaz gets my number four choice. Yeah, so my number four is also Cameron Diaz, and, and I mean, I, I'm going to be completely honest, the biggest reason why she's here is because of Shrek, and like, I wasn't going to put her on, because it was like, you know, I've seen her, she was in the movie Sex Tape with, um, oh, what's his name? He's uh he's from How I Met Your Mother, he plays Marshall in How I Met Your Mother. Oh, um. J- Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel. That's it, yeah, yeah. Jason Siegel. Right. Yeah, and like, outside of that, I was looking, I was like, I don't think I've actually seen any of these other movies she's been in. There's a- there's another uh, one with Jason Siegel also. It's called Bad Teacher. Oh, uh, I, I don't think I've actually seen that, but yeah, I know what movie you're it, talking it's about. It's her, Justin Timberlake, and Jason Siegel, and okay. it was it was pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's just Shrek. Like I was thinking about it, I was like, I love Shrek. It's uh, one of my favorite movie franchises ever. I like I said, I, I love Shrek too. I, I think they're both great. I like Shrek two a little more. Uh, and uh, of course, her role as Princess Fiona is huge in that franchise, so she has to be in my top five. And you know, another, four. another half decent movie that she was in that I kind of liked was called The Other Woman, uh, and it has her, uh, Leslie Mann, and Kate Upton. And oh, okay. Th- in the movie, they find out that the same guy has been cheating on all three of them. Oh, and nice. they and they yeah. set out to get revenge on him. Okay, so that was half. Half decent, half pretty entertaining. Um, so for my number three, I went with James Cameron. Uh, James Cameron is one of the best directors uh, in movie history, and he direct. And in terms of my favorite movies, uh, I would probably I would go with uh, either True Lies, uh, Titanic, and Avatar. Uh, Titanic is it is it overrated? Yeah, it's a little bit overrated, but I still think it's a really good movie uh avatar as well and then true lies is probably my favorite uh arnold schwarzenegger schwarzenegger movie uh that i really enjoyed as well and and obviously as one known as one of the best uh filmmakers uh of our time so james cameron gets my number three choice so yeah i've i've never seen more than the first like few minutes of avatar and I don't know if I've sat through the whole Titanic movie. I, I know people love it, but it's you know, it's just never been a, a movie for me. I think it was in your top five romantic comedies, right? Not, no, that's not, not a comedy. No, what? No, it's not I feel comedy, like you had it in your top five. I, no, something. no, I, I've, had, I've put it in a top five for something. I, yeah. I just don't remember what it was. I don't know what it would have been, yeah. Um, was it Leonardo DiCaprio? Or, <laughs> I, I, don't, yeah. I don't even know. Um, 
Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, James Cameron, like, it was kind of one of those, like, oh, you know, if you're going to throw in the last name Cameron, he makes sense. But I was like, why would I have him in my top five? <laughs> he, he's definitely not in mine, but I understand him being in most people. So, very reasonable for you to have him. At I think it was top. Years. I think it was top five. We did romantic movie. I don't know if it was romantic comedies, though. Like, we did romantic movies. I don't know. I we, totally, can, we can I go totally back wrong. and look. I might keep yeah. thinking of the greatest disasters, yeah. sinking of the Titanic, but I, I feel like <laughs> we've could, talked about. Oh, that could be before. it too. I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, greatest yeah. mi- top five biggest mistakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That the, might the be the infamous yeah. one. I know, but I, I feel like we talked about the movie at one point. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my number three is uh, Cameron Monaghan, who uh, is probably best known for his role as Ian Gallagher in the show Shameless. Uh, love the show Shameless. I love Ian's character and that uh, gay Jesus. And he, uh, Cameron Monaghan has also played a ton of roles. And you just look at his filmography. Like he, he played a somewhat starring recurring role in uh, the movie, the series Gotham, which I, I've never watched it, but uh, I think one, at least one that I know you've seen is Ned's The Classified School Survival Guide. He started as a yeah, child. Yeah, he was actor. the annoying kid. Yeah, a little remember, Palmer He was the annoying kid. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. So he, uh, you know, he, he's definitely been in a lot of stuff that I've seen before. He was also in Malcolm in the Middle. He had a voice role in Avatar, The Last Airbender. So a lot of those, like, Nickelodeon shows. My, my favorite role of him is actually, he, he was in Click, Adam yeah. Sandler movie. Yep. He was the bratty kid neighbor. Uh, and who Adam Sandler picked on a lot, and so I, I enjoyed his role. Yeah, it, it didn't. I it never really occurred to me that he had so many roles as like a kid, like before Shameless. Like I never, never would have realized like that's the same person. So uh, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I assume that he's someone who you know, just based on that that role in Shameless, is going to continue to have plenty of of uh, acting jobs into his the rest of his adult life. All right, so for my number two choice, I went with Cameron Fry, and you're wondering who the heck is Cameron Fry. Cameron Fry is not a famous person, but he's a famous character in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's Ferris Bueller's best friend in the movie, and uh, and in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, he was reluctant to go on with what Ferris Ferris wanted to do on his day off, and especially taking the his dad's car. Uh, and throughout the movie, he was he he was sort of not enjoying himself, but uh, I I enjoyed his character a lot, and especially throughout the movie when Ferris uh, tried to cheer him up more by doing all the things that they did, like uh, visiting the museums and the restaurants and going to Wrigley Field even, and and uh, I loved I loved his character in that movie. So uh, and so. Cameron Fry is my number two choice. It was played by Alan Ruck, by the way. So hand up. I've uh, never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> it's a good movie. I would. Yeah. No, I have. I heard. I, I don't know. It just has has not uh, come up for me. But uh, you know, it's, maybe, it's maybe honestly someday. it's honestly Matthew Broderick's not only best movie might be his only good movie, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I would definitely I would definitely recommend watching it. Okay, so my number two choice is Cameron Crowe. And uh, at first when I was looking up celebrities named Cameron, uh, you know, just like Wikipedia, Google, I saw his name come up early and I was like, Cameron Crowe, like, I know Russell Crowe, Cheryl Crowe, that sounds kind of familiar. And I clicked on him and I was like, oh, that's why I know him. He is a famous director, producer, screenwriter, 
of uh, several movies and uh, three really notable ones. Uh, one that probably everyone knows is Jerry Maguire. Yeah, and, Jerry Maguire is uh, a great movie. He also was uh, behind the 1982 classic Fast Times at Ridgemont High and uh, almost famous about his uh, days as a, a contributing writer at Rolling Stone when he was just a teenager. Uh, all three of those are fantastic movies, but you know, while Jerry Maguire is the one that is probably the most recognizable, those other two, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Almost Famous, are the two that uh, really resonate with me. Uh, I actually just saw Almost Famous for the first time about a year ago. I think it was right around Thanksgiving of 2019. Uh, my parents had me watch it. I loved it. And I had already seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is an awesome movie. I think anyone should watch that. I know the uh, there are a ton of celebrities that came together to do like a Zoom read along, and uh, you know Brad Pitt and um, Jennifer Aniston were involved in that. Uh, and uh, I think the the best one was Shia LaBeouf, who played uh, Spicoli, and he like really got into it. He was <laughs> he was definitely. Uh, you know, enjoying some Spicoli activities in his car on the uh, the video, but I'm a big I'm a big Shia LaBeouf fan, so yeah. I'm I'm sure I'd like it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Jerry Maguire was such was definitely a great movie of mm-hmm. of Tom Cruise as a sports agent, and, Drew Rosenhaus. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I, I love that movie. And so for my number one choice for. Top top celebrity named Cam. I went with Cam Neely. Uh, Cam Neely is a long longtime player for the Boston Bruins. Uh, unfortunately, his career was a little bit shortened by injuries, but he was uh, arguably one of the best players to ever play for the Bruins. Uh, outside maybe like Bobby Orr and Ray Bork, uh, up definitely up there as one of the best uh, all time Bruins players. And not only did he play for the Bruins, but he's also uh, the president of operation uh operations for the Boston Burns as well and is has played a role as a GM uh kind of role for the Bruins and does he make the perfect move every single time no there are definitely certain moves that I have not enjoyed uh, including the Tyler Sagan trade but regardless he's brought the Bruins to three Stanley Cups appearances and one Stanley Cup win uh and his was definitely a, a huge part of that. So uh, we talked about last week with Tommy Heinsohn being one the all-time Celtic. Um, Cam Neely, I think, in, has a case for being one of the all-time Bruins as a whole. So uh, big fan of Cam Neely, and he gets my number one choice. Yeah, this is another one where I knew that Cam Neely would be your number one as a, a huge Bruins fan. as someone who, who means a lot to that organization. Uh, and my number one is someone who means a lot to, to my favorite organization, <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that is Cameron Hayward, a captain of the defense. He's a multiple-time all-pro defensive lineman for that team. Uh, he's someone who has been a huge star for them in, uh, in recent seasons as that defense has become you know, one of the best in the league. He's someone who is a, a great uh, member in the Pittsburgh community. Uh, I believe he's actually from Pittsburgh originally, so he's a local kid, someone who just signed a four-year contract extension that in, in all likelihood will, will make him uh, officially a Steeler lifer, someone who retires with the organization. Uh, he's someone who has been the team's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award nominee. I would love it for him to 
one day win that award. I think he'd be very deserving of it. I'm pretty sure he was the uh, NFL community player of the week back in week one. Uh, he's someone who does so much for that team, both on and off the field. And the, the last thing he needs is to to win a Super Bowl. And uh, that would certainly supplant him on uh, the all-time great Pittsburgh Steelers. So uh, for me, there were probably a few athletes I could have gone with on this list, but I decided I just wanted to put the one, and he'd be my number one, Cameron Hayward. Yeah, I, I thought about putting Cam Newton, but we talk about him every week, so I, I just decided to leave him off, but he gets an honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, especially with his being on the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, Cam Hayward isn't even the only Steeler Cam. There's also Cam Sutton, who's been really solid as a cornerback this year, especially with Mike Hilton missing the past few games. But I had to go with Hayward there. Uh, I did throw think about Cameron Wake, a uh, longtime Dolphin. I, I was always a fan of him. I thought it was cool to make his like path to the NFL from the CFL. But you know, ultimately, I was like, nope, I'm going to do a bunch of non-athletes and uh, just Hayward. So... All right, that will uh, wrap up this episode of He's Done It. Uh, we were very glad to have Cam join us for a little while to talk NFL. We had you know, some other stuff, and you know, hopefully some of the NBA things we've talked about, maybe you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes, and we can certainly comment as more things happen as the, uh, the season gets set to start in late December. So uh, for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>